This is why we're Christians. Amen. Y'all ready? Getting settled? Good. Anybody have an exciting weekend? Yeah. yeah? <laughs> Amen. Anybody have a good testimony? Something God did, something cool, something you saw and learned or something happened? Anybody? What's up? Oh, yeah, the fellow they went to pray for. Yeah, this is good. Okay, okay. sorry. Yeah, Sean just was telling me about this just a little bit ago. Okay, um, well, a lot of our family was praying for my Uncle Rudy, and he was in the ICU. And um, uh, Saturday evening, we went in, me and my mom went in, and um, we went to check in him and we went in the IC unit and we're like, where'd he go? Wow. He wasn't in there. So we asked one, asked one And he wasn't nurses. doing good medically. He had a lot of fluid. He couldn't hardly problems. breathe or talk. Do you guys remember when we, when yeah. Sean, that's the fellow we're talking about. And then Adam and Brian from Praise Community jumped up and they took off right away and left my great sermon and went and prayed for that man. That was, <laughs> that was awesome. And, and all that fluid left him. Yeah. his breathing and stuff but he's doing fantastic right now isn't that awesome because they were it was a, it was not a good report in the sense of medical right they were like thinking he was gonna go and uh, I think his kidneys still need to respond am I telling that right they're watching his kidney function let's pray for Rudy's kidneys right now as a church let's pray right now for his kidneys Father, it's amazing. Thank you for raising him up off a sick bed. Thank you for taking that fluid out of his body, giving him strength. Thank you that when they went in there to go to that room, he was not there because he's progressively getting better. And right now, kidneys, you just work in Jesus' name. We speak life to you. Just function and do what you were created to do. Father, thank you for restoring this man's kidneys in your great love. Thank you. We corporately agree, the body of Christ, the fullness of you that fills all in all. We stand and believe, and, 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 and not only believe you can, but we believe you're willing. And we thank you for doing it through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the move of your spirit on his life. Kidneys, you work now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Amen? Amen. That's exciting. So That was encouraging, too, wasn't it? I, you know what I like? Brian and... Uh, Adam come right over and grabbed him, and they took off. As soon as we said it on Thursday, they just were going. I said, well, they went right away. But see, I like that kind of stuff. That's aggressive. 1 Timothy 1.5, let's go there, and uh, we'll see what grace we have on this. But I'm feeling like we need to talk about becoming love a little bit, because it's where everything flows from, okay? We talked about a lot of stuff in the school so far. Uh, kind of jumped around a little bit. I apologize, but I really don't. I mean, what I'm saying is, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. But, uh, you know, I look in my heart at the flow of the school so far and really establishing righteousness, God's heart towards us, 
the statement of the cross, who we are because of Christ. That's really where we camped for a long time in the beginning, right? And uh, we just get into a lot of other things. We probably get into some more intense topics than the last school in, in a quicker way. But nonetheless, the, the whole, I want you to see this. Thank you, God. First Timothy 1, are you there? Okay. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. I, I, I just like the way he writes that stuff. I mean, he is saying, my life is so the will of God and what I'm doing is God-purposed. I mean, he's, there's no dear confidence in that. It's not arrogance. It's just good. And uh, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace mercy and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That's pretty intense. Uh, well, let's just see here quick. Church history, probably about, you know, well, they think this was written in about 64 A.D., not real long, not super, super long into church history is my point. And there's already other stuff out there floating around. <laughs> okay? In Philippians, he writes and says, I have nobody to send to you like-minded like Timothy because everybody else has their own thing in mind and not Christ. Everybody else already had other agenda 30-some years into church history when he wrote Philippians. That's kind of startling. Because if you look at church history, there was an amazing reverence for God. God was rocking the place. There was a fear of God. There was, there was a lot of things going on through the book of Acts that were pretty intense, right? And yet, 30-some years into it, Paul said, there's only one man I can send you because everybody else has other motives. That's pretty sobering. That should cause us to really get a grip on our heart and just keep our heart really clean and before the Lord and some stuff, right? So people had needs to build kingdoms rather than minister the kingdom and need for whatever. Sometimes we find identity in what we do. We need people to affirm us. We like people to say, oh, you're amazing, and it feels so good when they say that. And you should already know you're amazing. God sent his son. Okay? <laughs> You don't want to get trapped in a position where you need people to say nice things about you so you have a better day. You should already be having a better day. <laughs> I'm just talking straight up, all right? But Paul uh, reveals that. But here he's saying that you teach no other doctrine. Why? Because there must have been stuff floating around. He, did, he talked to the Galatians like that. He said, man, who bewitched you? What's going on? Why are you believing this when you came into this? You were taught this and now you're over here. Why would you revert back to this when this is the way? Okay, so here's what he's saying. Give no, nor give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which caused disputes. And a lot of that, if you study, you'll see it was cultural and there was a lot of things going around in those days and beliefs and things like that too. But he says, disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now he says something amazing. Now the purpose of the commandment. He just said he was an apostle by the commandment of God. Watch this. So in other words, God ordained. The purpose of the commandment is love. Some Bibles say the whole goal of our instruction. Some translations say that. Who has any other translation out there? Speak it up and I'll repeat it, Olivia. Whereas the object and purpose of our instruction in 
There you go. The object of our purpose and instruction, it's love. So the goal of our instruction, I, I forget what translation is. I have it at home. I lay a couple translations around. I, I read them. I have one that has a bunch in. And every once in a while, I'll pick them up. And I'll read scriptures like that to see, to get a bigger picture of what it's saying. And I know the goal of our instruction is love. Same thing, basically, she just read a little, little more in depth. But the goal of the commandment, the goal of our instruction is love. So the whole purpose of God in giving us the word and sending Christ is love. Come on. That's amazing. So we better camp there and stay there and become that and everything will flow from there. We've gotten that backwards a lot of times. We push into ministry. We push into gifting. We want to be used by God. Oh, if God would just use me. Oh, my God. And then when God uses you, you go, oh. And then you grab stuff like out of that that should already be established. It starts touching you in a wrong way. Uh, I just talked to somebody this morning on the phone. My people try to catch me because they know I go to school, so they call me while I had a towel wrapped around me talking, got dressed while I was talking on the phone. That's how I live. <laughs> it's fun. You can tell I'm okay with it. <laughs> but I, I answered the phone. I said, well, I better get this. I picked up. Hey. I said, listen, you know you've tried to call me in the mornings before. It's just not the best time. I'm, I'm trying to get ready to school. I have to pick up Destiny. And, or I didn't even say Destiny. I just have to pick someone up because they're actually they're not local when they call. And they, I didn't tell them I had a towel wrapped around me. I didn't, I didn't want them to try to visual that. And, uh, and, uh, so, but I'm telling you, so turn off your prophetic giftings. <laughs> so anyhow, so stop, I don't know where we're going. Stop, let's get a grip. <sighs> but I ran up with the phone, never said nothing to them, just talked, never got distracted, just gave my heart to them. I got totally dressed and I'm down on the back porch trying not to make a lot of noise because actually my wife was sleeping in and, and I had. I was out on the back porch talking, and I said, look, I really got to go. I'm sorry, et cetera, et cetera. But I laughed. I thought, you know, it's just funny. But I talked, I talked to this person. They said God gave them an impression for somebody, and they shared it, and it was right. And they said how pumped they were and how motivated, and, and they, they felt so assured in Christ and in their salvation when that happened. And I was glad they called me, and I'm not sure the Holy Spirit didn't just have them call me, because that's a dangerous place. You don't need God to move through you to find assurance, or you, it, it, you turn into a spiritual Christian, like drug addict type thing. It's, it's, the same, it's the same compulsion. It's like, it's, it's not good. So every time God uses you, it affirms your salvation. No, God uses you because your salvation's affirmed. And there's times he'll show mercy and cheer you on and give you a little and show you, yes, there's gifting in your life. Yes, there's potential. But it's not to affirm your salvation. It's just to reveal that God wants to move through you. You follow what I'm saying? It, it, it can be a twisted addiction kind of thing. And all of a sudden, you need that. And then you need people to see God in you. And you need people to affirm God in you. And all of a sudden, you're driven, just like an addiction. You're driven by something that's not established in your life. Irene knows this. What's the number one reason for most addictions? A shattered esteem, low identity, people not knowing who they are. And, and they don't see the value of their life, so their life's devalued through the addiction. And it's just, it's a, it's a twisted, wicked survival mode that destroys you. 
It's, it's the same thing. If our identity isn't established, even the giftings and stuff, can you can stumble over that stuff. And all of a sudden you use that to feed something that should already be met through the message of His Son. You following? I, I, I say that stuff and I'll say that stuff in the school and repeat some things over and over and over and it's totally on purpose. It's not redundant. Okay? That's where people, and I don't want any of you to press into ministry and think, boy, if I just get into ministry, I'll feel better about myself. I just need, I've met people that push to get into full-time ministry and they feel like if they can get into full-time ministry, their ships come in. They've arrived. You've arrived when you believe the love of God through Jesus Christ. You've arrived when you've come home. <laughs> See, what, what we're saying is that's going to add to my esteem. It's going to add to my identity. It's going to add to my integrity. And people are going to see me better or see me a certain way. And usually the reason that's a need is because you don't already see yourself that way. Do you know I've learned that a lot of people in church, you'd be amazed. I'm not saying this about you in the room, but you get this many people in the room together, you'd be amazed when it really boils down to it how many people don't feel real good about themselves. And that comes out in a lot of different ways. An overexpression of love towards others and totally looks like a selfless life forsaking yourself and giving it to others. Sometimes it's just because you see the value of others but you don't see yourself and you just do good to everybody around you and don't even really treat yourself well or take good care of yourself in your soul. See, I need to love you as I love myself or there's something weird can go on in all that. I, the way I see me is the way I'm going to see you. The way I ultimately, the Bible's teaching, I love my neighbor as myself. I'm supposed to have a, an incredible healthy identity. A spouse that can't love his wife, it says it's because he doesn't love himself. That's why his, that's why his spouse is having trouble loving his spouse. I believe it works both ways. It mentions the man there, of course, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's just a truth. But he certainly mentions the man. And there's protection in that, ladies, if you're married. See, because the tendency is, see, this is, we're going to talk about love. And we're going to talk about, see, love understands that. So it's, here's what it is in, in, in a relationship. It's about you being loved by the person effectively instead of you loving. So we make love so self-centered. We, we need to be loved. We're still needing to be loved. And we've been so loved, it's ridiculous. <laughs> we've been so loved by God, it's inexpressible. <laughs> While we were yet sinners, He's come. While we were living worthless, He said we're worthy. While we were doing everything wrong, He made us right. <laughs> come on, this thing is incredible. He's the source of love. God literally means source of life. God is love, so He's the source of love. Without being connected into God, there's no love in the wire. It's just human love. It's actually selfish love. It's human love. It's like, like most of the love that we say about our children growing up and our families and a lot of people. And it's, it's, it, we're finding identity through that. And, we're, and, and that's why we could just as well be brokenhearted, hurt, devastated, and frustrated in those same situations that we say we love so much. Because the love is self-serving. It's feeding something in us that's missing. It's not pure love. God's not like that. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? See, we used an illustration yesterday in a service, and it's in my heart right now. It's, it's not just a repeat. It's, it's something God's trying to say. Like, like, people do things and make mistakes. Who's, who's had people make mistakes in your life and towards your life and do things that ought not have been done, right? All of us, right? 
The tendency is we have so much expectation on people. We have so much need from people. We're not rooted and grounded in love this way. If we're not careful, we don't even understand the depth of this relationship and the beauty of it and the purpose of it that we're still looking for satisfaction and completion this way. So when somebody does something like that, we have phrases like, you broke my trust. I don't think I can ever trust you again. Well, that really hurt me. So the person comes back into your life. Okay, okay, let me flip it. So this sweet little girl, look at her, isn't she innocent? Look at her. Can you imagine her ever doing anything wrong? Yeah. <laughs> that was her brother. <laughs> he said, yes. <laughs> and it didn't look like he was imagining. <laughs> it looked like he was remembering. <laughs> That was so funny. I said, can you imagine her doing it? He said, yes. <laughs> His eyes were this big. Okay, so watch. So obviously in reality, at home, you must have done something somewhere. She's going, I didn't do anything. Because see, she's washed in the blood. She's clean in heart, pure. She's innocent. Yay. Watch this. Okay. So, so say, say she does something that she goes, you know, well, whatever, or, you know, and she just does it. And then she says, man, I probably shouldn't have did that. And then she says, no, not probably. I shouldn't have did that. That wasn't healthy for the family. That wasn't healthy for my own spiritual life. And da, da, da. So she goes in her bedroom and she closes the door. And let's just say it was something really bad. <laughs> She's so sweet. <laughs> She's like me. <laughs> That's why I'm using you, honey, because I just can't see that. Watch this. She goes in her bedroom and she says, Lord, that was so not, and I just want you to forgive me, and that was just. And she talks however people talk when they get alone and they're troubled in their heart, okay? Thanks for forgiving me, etc. And all of a sudden, God just shows up in her bedroom. Hand on the hip a little bit, you know. You're kidding me, right? I mean, you had to know better, didn't you? Did you know better? Did you do that on purpose? Yes. So you did that on purpose and now I'm just supposed to get over it and forgive you and act like everything's cool and you didn't even do nothing. Don't you know how you hurt my heart? I've put a lot of confidence in you and trust in you and I've, I've worked in you now and I've been doing some things in your life and I'm thinking I could believe better of you now and then you just go and let me down and put me through all that hurt and go ahead and cause me to be so unsure now of who you even are and what you're even capable of and I'm not even sure if I can trust you anymore young lady I don't even know what, where to go with this and all so I'm sorry so sorry covers it now sorry's supposed to be enough now see that language sounds ridiculous when I put God in the picture which sounds ridiculous because we know who God is now through the word but it's, that language has become very normal and acceptable to us. And the problem is, if it sounds ridiculous putting God in the picture, it ought to be equally as ridiculous to us because we're in His image. So that language isn't the kingdom of God. Come on, they call this kingdom living school. I think that's what we're doing. Isn't that what it's called? <laughs> I got that right, right? I just show up to teach. <laughs> Just kidding, I'm just kidding. It's kingdom living school. Just hit me. We're in kingdom living school. That kind of mentality is not the kingdom. That's what you learned in the earth, born into Adam. That's what the fall of man taught us. Your rights, your disappointments, your expectations on humanity. 
and all of a sudden you're so broken and your trust and now you can't see somebody past what they did wrong and you were putting so much stock in them and you need so much from people that you're constantly hurt, offended, angry because your life depends on that and them. Come on, we've lived that way. And you can actually get a list and justify your flesh and in your mind be totally right because you are so fixed on what's totally wrong. And you can justify your emotions, your feelings, your actions, and in time it gives you firepower to become the very same thing that you're broken over. You don't realize in that whole process you're becoming the very same thing that pointing at. Happens to Christians every day. Because <laughs> we never address that mindset. We accept it as common and normal because we carry a great expectation on people. And we, and, and we think... People need, so here's what I'm saying. Am I saying that it's right for people to do wrong, bad things? Am I saying we just ignore it and whatever? No, there's times you have to address things, speak into them, discipline that. Uh, but here's the deal. I can't do that in her life if I'm just nothing but hurt by her because then everything I'm speaking is in self-reason or self-interest and hurt. And potential unforgiveness. And now all I'm trying to do is set her straight for my sake. I'm just aggravated by her. So I'm trying to pull her into line. Who knows that there's no grace on that. There's nothing to do with the heart of God. If there's something in her life like that. And I come to her. It should be totally for her sake. Because I see where that's going to lead her. And I care enough about her to talk about it. Not because I'm ticked off at her. Not because you failed me. And I thought you were a better Christian than that honey. Well, you've been playing a game with me all this time. And then you turn around and go, well, you little hypocrite, you. Why don't you get straight or you're going straight to hell? You know, that's the mentality that sometimes people get. And they want to set somebody straight. And we miss love in the midst of it all. You're the best example in the class for this right up front, looking all innocent. You are so precious. <laughs> I really love you. <laughs> you see her eyes. She's like, pick somebody else. <laughs> Go to the other side of the class. <laughs> Go over to Hannah. <laughs> I'm not doing Trish. I'm not using Trish. Because I pulled in front of her today. I drove straight at her in the parking lot with my truck. I just drove straight at her. She would not make a good deer. She would not last a day. <laughs> she, she, she's the deer in the headlight thing for sure. She went... <laughs> I said, I'm so glad God made you Trish and not a deer, or you'd be belly up in one day. <laughs> she, it was so funny. She'd cross the road. <laughs> Who's ever seen that out along the road? That would be her if she was a deer. Thank God he didn't make you a deer. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> Watch this. The goal... The purpose, the charge of the command and our instruction is what? It's love. Look where it comes from. Oh my goodness, that's the huge, that's the big deal right there. Guess where love comes from? So if our hearts aren't purified through the gospel, through a place of prayer, not, not introspecting with a negative resume, not always fault finding with yourself and nitpicking and looking inside to see what's dirty in you. Just sincere I want you. I don't want my own life. Communion, prayer, like we talked about a lot in this school. 
just, you know, Father, I don't want the way that seems right to man. My life is yours, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, for aligning me to your thoughts and your understanding. And as I read the word, I thank you that I see your heart and the way you think and the way you are. And I just thank you, God, my heart is for you. I want to manifest you in my life. I want to respond like you, receive like you. I want to hear like you. I want to be like my dad. That's a good place of prayer. That's a place where you'll find purity in your heart. See, if it comes from a pure heart, then if our hearts aren't pure, love's probably not going to be the result. And it's easy to understand because if our hearts aren't pure, we can't love because we have another motivation. Remember how I talk about motivation all the time and the why behind your life? You can't rise above that. That's your ceiling. What motivates you is as high as you can fly. Does this make sense? And sometimes we do things for other reasons than love. Sometimes we just talk to somebody about what they're doing wrong because we're hurt by it. And some people, they, they'll slide that in at the end. Well, look, I'm really sorry. No, it's okay. We, yeah, you did. You really did hurt me. And, and I understand we're trying to get resolved and we think that's normal. But why wouldn't I in my own life get a grip on being so vulnerable? I don't want you to be in a position where you can so hurt me like you follow me? Because then I'm free to love you. And you're not under the pressure of my expectation. So you're not walking on eggshells in my life, and it's not about you failing me. It's about us walking in love. It's very misunderstood, actually. We've, we've been subverted in this area at large in the body of Christ because born into Adam and the way that seems right to man has taught us for so long that we. when I listen to a lot of Christian counsel that people give each other and people... Say, well, so-and-so told me this. Well, so-and-so told me... You know, somebody calls you and they already talked to five people. And they call you and ask you and they say, well, well, so-and-so said this. And I talked to him. I just wanted to get your take on it. But they'll tell me all the stuff they were told. And I'm thinking, whoa, we probably shouldn't be doing a lot of counsel one with another. <laughs> At times. You know, just grabbing advice from people. Because what I hear coming out of people is the advice that comes from how they'd feel if they were in their position. And it doesn't a lot of times have to do with Jesus and his love and his response. It's really just what they would do if they were in their shoes and how they would feel. And it's usually coming from a place of, they did that to you? Are you kidding? Who? No way. Well, that's, I can't even imagine that. And all of a sudden, we're making a big deal out of the wrong and, and now we're just comforting them and stroking them and sympathizing and... Man, I'm glad he didn't do that to me. I don't know how to react. I might have just told him off right in the church. <laughs> well, you did a lot better than I did, sweetie. You ain't lay, lay hands on me and impart that to me, your grace. Come on, I'm being real. These are just normal conversations that people have because we don't have a deeper understanding and we're used to, if somebody says the wrong thing, we're hurt, upset, or mad or something. Somebody does the wrong thing. So what we're doing is we're being dictated by one another constantly. So you learn to live in protectionism. You learn to find your own little safe clique of friends. And if something falls out in that, it's really soap opera time. In your little entrusted circle of friends and now something falls out there. Now we got soap opera deluxe going on. Because this is who I gave my life to. These are my little friends that I mean, we, we're in our little bubble because you really can't go out there because it's crazy and everybody. So we're in our little and then now something falls out in there. Are you guys following me? 
Because that's what we do then. We try to find safe places and we avoid certain people and, and we cling to cleave to others and we try to find these safe places. And I'm concerned about that because it means we're vulnerable. There's other motives in our life. There's things we're trying to meet that only the gospel can. You follow me? I'm not expecting you to fail, but I understand people aren't going to do everything perfect. I understand that some people get in delusion for a moment and let their feelings get carried away and do something they wouldn't do if they were thinking clear. I've learned that people will get reactionary and just burst out and do stuff spontaneously. Does that really mean that's who they are? It reveals the struggle going on in their life, true? So why am I going to take that so personal that I cut them off, stereotype them, identify them, or let them dictate how I'm going to live? Why doesn't it draw compassion out of my heart? Why is it so easy to cry because of somebody instead of cry for somebody? You following me? Because we've lived with self-interest. Let's just face this thing. doesn't mean it's what we're doing to the degree now that we were. But we need to grow in this area at large. A lot of us do. And I'm not pointing to you personally. I'm looking at the carpet right now. Talking to the carpet. <laughs> I do that on purpose. Did you ever notice when I talk about real strong stuff like this, I look down or I look up? Yep. Do you know why? Because I've learned that people, when you look at them, they think you have discernment and you're talking about them or that you're believing that about them when you look in their eyes. And they're like, oh my God, right when he was talking to me, he was looking right at me. Oh my God, he's looking right at me. I, I see it when I'm preaching. So I, I just started to look up and down. That's why it's, it's actually I'm geared that way now. So when I'm making a general comment like that, I don't want you to think right here on the front row if I look at you and I, and I go like that. Oh, she, says, she said, but it's true though. You, you are talking to me. Come out of her! No. <laughs> so, see. Whoa! Whoa! How many are there? See, see it's, it's not even... It's, it's, it's not even always, a, it's not a demonic thing. It's, it's a wrong believing. It's a misunderstanding thing. It's a, we're trained a certain way. We, we've lived insecure our whole lives and in survival. Some people have stronger personalities and it shows up in different ways. But it's still the same need driving every person. Yeah, so you're good. <laughs> she was so sweet. I said, like, as soon as I said it, she said, well... But it's true, though. <laughs> we got honest students. No, it's good. To, it's good to be honest because that's why she's sitting right here. Got a little notebook. Out. She's saying, you know what? It, it, there is a weakness there. There is a, and it's not healthy, and it's not. It hasn't done me good, and it's getting out of my life. That's exactly right. Comes with understanding. Sometimes, guys, we haven't even understood. There's really another way. We've separated Jesus from us, and we think that was Him, and. And, but the truth is, we're created in His image, and we're pursuing Christ. We're pursuing Christ-likeness. Come on, I don't want to be driven. I don't want to be, yay, worshiping and feeling God's presence, and, 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 and even walking in authority and having authority in certain spiritual situations, and then turn around and only be as strong as you are towards my life. That makes me a sitting duck, man. I'm just waiting to fall. Are you following me? Okay. A pure heart. Where's love come from? Whole. The pure in heart shall. There's another scripture that says, to the pure. Where is that? Martha, is your word, lady? Is that Titus? 
to the pure, all things are pure. Yes. Titus, here. See, I'm a word guy too. She's a word girl. I know she, she helped me on stuff like that. She'll know. Some of you guys have read your Bibles a couple times. To the pure, watch this. To the pure, what? All things are pure. It must be amazing. You can walk in a heart that believes the best, sees the best, until it gets obvious that it's something else. But to the pure, all things are pure. It's not speculation, presumption, suspecting. Do you know what the word judge means, really means when it says don't judge one another? Don't presume on one another. Don't assume without knowing truth. Judgment. That means, that means I'm not going to watch Sean's life from a distance and not get personal and close to him, but watch his life from a distance and say, huh, well, I see the way this and that. He probably, yeah, that's probably going on in his life. And next thing you know, I start believing that. And every time I see him, I see him through that filter. And I've never taken the time to get to know him, to look inside his heart through communication and find out who this young man really is. And all of a sudden, from a distance, I've got a belief about him. That's judgment. Now, if that all comes out and we get to know each other and he's got fruit in an area hanging on the tree and it's undeniable, <laughs> you know, how's, a, how's an apple tree? You walk up and say, whoa, you're an apple tree and there's apples all over. Well, I ain't no apple tree. What do you mean apple tree? Apple, what apple tree? <laughs> so see, I've had this countless times, pastoring. You sit people behind the scenes and you, you try to help them with a struggle and you talk about the issue that they're denying and hiding from. And, and, and uh, Miss Irene, I mentioned her because she's worked in this capacity for years. I'm sure you've heard this where you get straight with somebody and they say, well, look, you don't need to judge me. You're not my judge. Who are you to judge me? You're not supposed to judge me. You're supposed to help me. You're not judging them when you talk about it because it's already revealed. Like, I've had people in the church, young couples, that are sexually active coming to church. They're sexually active, and it comes out in the open, and you want to pull them together to talk about things so they don't have a legalistic mindset to where they're not like, you know, I know I shouldn't do this. I don't want to do this. I, yeah, I do want to do this, but I shouldn't. Okay, yeah, I can't. Oh, and they're doing the same thing. Look, we can't. I know. I want to. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens to young people. That's what happens to older folks. The older single adults. The people that are mid-age. All fine. They all have the same issues. <laughs> we blame it on the young ones. <laughs> In fact, just for information's sake, it happens all the time and it doesn't have to. It's because we don't know who we are. We're trying to get a need met and insecurity and stuff met through emotion and passion and starry-eyed movie lines and things that have prompted our hearts all our life. It's rare that I find a couple even in their 40s that aren't married, that aren't messing around because they can't help it. I'm just being honest. It's because there's need. And, and, it, and we teach it legalistically and say, you shouldn't do that. Well, that's wrong. Instead of giving them understanding of the beauty of intimacy and what God intended and why it's not profitable and how it affects others and how it, in the big picture, because you're not your own. You're part of a family. You're in the body of Christ. And what you do and say does matter. And you're right in your legacy, guys. 
And selflessness tells you that there's a better way. Selfishness says, whatever, they'll get over it. Well, they're not my boss. Well, they're not my judge. See, then you're, you're subverting yourself from the picture of family. I want to walk in integrity, especially because it'll bless you. I want to walk in honesty and purity. I want to be part of the team because then you're stronger and edified. It's a bigger picture than you. But I've been in this situation with young folks, and you say, listen, I realize you guys made the confession. I'm a pastor, right? So I realize you guys made the confession to so-and-so, and you guys were crying, and said you're slipping into this and this. And you say, well, look, well, I already talked to them. Why are you talking to me? Well, look, you don't have to judge us. And that's the phrase that comes out. People say, oh, you don't, whoa, 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 I'm not judging you. you. You already got apples on the tree. You're an apple tree in the sense of this is real. I'm not projecting this. I'm not assuming this. This has happened. And we just, I just want to deal with it. Well, you don't need to judge us. I've had countless people. That's their defense. You know what they're saying? Get off my back. I know we're having struggles. We'll get over it. And I know it'll probably happen now and then, but God knows our heart. Did you hear that one ever? Well, God knows my heart. Isn't it amazing that the Bible doesn't say in the end you'll stand before God and be judged for your heart. It'll be judged for your life because your life lived is your heart. It says we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and answer for the works that were done, whether good or bad. Not your heart <laughs> or your confession or your intention. <laughs> good intentions have strung a lot of people along. Good intentions. Would you say good intentions is the same as a pure heart? <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> okay? So here's the deal. Here's what makes your heart pure. When you have good intentions, and you take those good intentions, and you face the dilemma, the weakness, the things of the flesh, and you get along with God, and you get resolved there. You find grace there and strength there. You find somebody in, in your life that, that helps you and cheers you on and prays with you that you can talk to and trust in that sense, and, and, and you find victory through your good intention. That's what reveals a pure heart. But your good intention can become a weak, fleshy cop-out after a while, and now you're using the line, you got all this stuff going on. You say, well, God knows my heart. It's a cop-out. What you're saying is, well, God knows if I could do better, I would do better. But in the, in the long run, you're justifying the weakness of your flesh, and your flesh has an easy pass then to remain the same. You've excused yourself away. So it happens. It happens all the time. But I have young people that have done that and different things in people's lives, and they say, well, don't you judge me. You're not. That is not judgment. Don't be thrown by that when people do that. That is actually them backing into a corner, trying to hide, get away, and remain the same. Don't let them remain the same. <laughs> I say, I'm not judging you. Knock it off. Stop that. That is an excuse. What do you mean judging you? Have you guys been? Well, yeah. Well, then I'm not judging you. Judging is, a, is, a, is just a presumed belief towards you. It's me just looking at a distance saying, I bet they're doing it. You see what I'm saying? That's judgment. Because if I settle that in my heart, subconsciously I'm going to begin to treat you that way. I'm going to hear you through that belief. And I'm not going to touch you pure. Right? 
That's why you don't want to judge one another. But it's a pure heart. It's a what? From a good conscience. This is where, this is like the wellspring where love flows from. Do you think God has a pure heart? Do you think he has a good conscience? Why? Because he's totally just. He's not unfair. He's not biased. He's not partial. His conscience is squeaky clean. He probably likes hanging out with himself. He probably thinks he's pretty cool. <laughs> and you can get to the place where you think that about yourself because you're in him. Not in an arrogant, weird, vanity way. You just like who you are now. Because you look inside and you smile and you go, well, there's no pretense, there's nothing twisted, there's no wrong motives, there's no other agenda. Wow, I finally died and I'm finally alive. I finally died, got it over with and just died. <laughs> and now I can finally live. Pure heart, clear conscience, good conscience. Do you know the two go hand in hand? Do you know if you violate your conscience, it'll shipwreck your faith? It'll muddy up your clear, unveiled approach to God until you get that resolved. Your pure heart will keep this thing in order. If your heart has other motives, who knows your conscience will become aware of it. As soon as you fail to deal with that conviction, you'll slip into low levels of condemnation, go into hiding, and do all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't have to do. If we were honest, people could say they are aware of that process at some point in their life where they've done that. Where they had a conviction, where light was in their life, where they knew this wasn't the best, and they had a need, so they said, well, whatever. And they exaggerated a little something and did something just to get something. And then, they're, and then this is exposed. This is, uh, and faith is shipwrecked, and we're totally losing. Even if we're getting what we're aiming at, we're totally losing. Because we're cutting off this love thing. You follow me? Martha? Is I'm conscience always a safe guide? It's a real safe guide when your heart's pure. Some people sear their consciences. That's a good question. That's an excellent question. I'm preaching this in the good faith that we're here because we want God. No, conscience isn't always the, 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 the answer, the conscience. It's the truth that's the answer. The truth of God's word. Some, some people's consciences, they have so many rights evolved in their life that their conscience actually validates some of those beliefs. It's the truth that lines your conscience up. It's the truth that purifies your heart. It's the truth that makes you free. So uh, a, a man that's not born again, of course, his conscience wouldn't have the same capacity as a Christian. His, his conscience would actually validate certain things that are totally ungodly, like vengeance, payback, hostility because you've crossed the line. And what do you expect? This is what you deserve. And his conscience would actually permit that. The reason we teach the stuff we teach is because we want to bring all these things into alignment with truth so that we get the clearest expression of Christ. Are you following? That's an excellent question. The Bible says there's Christians, there's people that, that and I believe he's talking about Christians. There's, he's talking about Christians in Philippians where they've turned to the flesh 
Their God's their belly and their glory's their shame. And he says, I write to you even weeping concerning them. They've departed from us. They've departed. There's people that have departed from the faith. And he said, whatever. Right? And you can get theological all you want and debate all you want. Were they ever born again? Are they still born again? Da da da. That's just that's just not go there. What there's nothing there. It's not an option. There's not an open road there. <laughs> you see what I mean? I mean, the only reason we have the big thing, once saved, always saved, and can you lose your salvation is because men decided to backslide and there's people that didn't run the race. <laughs> so now we have the big question, are we always saved? And we need to answer that for our own conscience sake because maybe we're not living really strong and hard after God and we're wondering if we're in or not. The question gets asked for all the wrong reasons. It shouldn't even be a question. You're born again, run well, finish. You know what I mean? The only reason we have the question is because of the way we've chose to live and the mistakes we We've made. Come on, be real with me. <laughs> it's the only reason it's such a big, hot topic question. Pure heart. Here's what I do know about Martha's question. A pure heart will absolutely breed a good conscience. The Bible says with unveiled face, we come to him. Yo, isn't that cool? Why, you're given to another. Look on wedding day. Who gives this bride in marriage? I do. And the daddy usually says, I do. I, you know, uh, I see that. That's a, what's he do? He walks his, walks his little girl down. And, 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 and then what's he do? He gives her away. He takes the veil and unveils her because until then, she was under his covering, his daddy. Now, we don't understand the beauty and purity of that, so we've been unveiled long before. <laughs> we just don't. And, uh, but what she's, what she's saying is, I have been submitted under your care, under your love, under your fathering, and then he gives her way. In the Christian sense of unveiled face, man, we were tests, we were slaves to a taskmaster, we were in bondage, we were veiled over, dark, alienated, separate from God, no covenant, no hope, and now all of a sudden, the veil's removed through Christ, and we're born again, and we see the truth of who we are, and we come out of one and into another. It's like an unveiling of you. It's, we're, we're, we're released from this. That's what a daddy does when he's rolling back the veil. He's saying, I've cared for you. You've been under my covering protection. But today I see fit that you've grown. You matured this man. I accept. I give you to him. To be. And he unveils her face. He uncovers her like she's coming out from under. She's still daddy. She still walks in honor towards daddy. But she's coming out from under that specific parental covering to be joined to another. And he unveils her face. It's just a cool analogy when you read unveiled face with the Lord. Pure heart, a good conscience, and a what? Sincere faith. Who has other word there than sincere faith? Unfeigned. Unfeigned. Uh, unhypocritical. Anybody have that? There's, there's, there's got to be another translation out there. Anybody have any other than sincere faith? Uncontaminated. Unhypocritical Genuine, that's a good word. I was just, uh, sincere faith, I was just trying to get some, a better grip. I like to listen to some other because it gives you a bigger picture. That was good. Did you have something else or not? Same, good. Genuine, a genuine faith. Do you see how the pure heart, everything's going to flow out of this pure heart? 
and the pure in heart seek God or see God. How long did we spend in the beginning of this, this school talking about communion with God and, and how grace and faith go hand in hand? And as you release faith in truth, grace meets you and begins to shape your life. Do you remember all that? Hope you remember all that. We don't have to repeat it all, teach it all. It's on the tapes. You can go back and listen. It's huge. That's where a pure heart is, is cultivated. When you get alone, when nobody's looking, it's not your corporate prayer group. It's just you saying, I don't want to live like I was taught to live. And you just walk your bedroom. You don't have to put on a spiritual face even. You'd be real. You could walk like this. Lord, I don't want to live like I was taught to live. There is a way that seems right. And it drives me at times. It, it makes me get chips on my shoulders and have a right against people. And I can thought find real easy, find myself just criticizing and nitpicking things. And that is not who you made me to be. And God, I just surrender myself to you right now. And I just thank you that you're showing me through your word that there is a better way, another way, and it's the way. That's how you work out your salvation. You know how the Bible says work out your salvation? That doesn't mean by works. You're saved by faith and grace. But you work it out. You walk it out with a reverence toward God, a, a fear and reverence toward God, knowing that His way is the way. He is amazing. He's right and righteous, and He is God. So you have a fear of God. You work out your salvation with an amazing reverence towards God. You see what I'm saying? So you're walking that thing out. So when things come and old tendencies and, and, and the way you were trained for years and all of a sudden you're just offended and, and you realize it and you know it and all of a sudden your mind will work. Who knows that what I'm telling you is what happens to people when they're offended? Yeah, but they, yeah, but they shouldn't have, yeah, but... And it's this lie that's allowing you to have the right to stay offended because they did wrong and they shouldn't have did that. And your mind is trained to live in rightness instead of righteousness. What I'm saying about rightness and righteousness, so you understand, righteousness is God saying, stand before me and be right. Yeah, but Lord, I this and that. Yeah, I know, but I know who you are and you haven't seen that and I love you. And who, there's more to who you are than your past actions. Stand before me and be accepted by me. My blood pays the price. You're my child. <laughs> He's not even, he doesn't even get out the list of where you've been and what you've done wrong. He just says, look, there's more to what you've been living. I love you. Thanks for coming to me. Stand and be my son. Be righteous. <laughs> Abraham is a good example. Way back then, you know, it says God counted him as righteous because he believed. He, would, he was righteous through faith. And I mean, there's a time in Abraham's life there in Genesis 15, 16, he didn't have, he didn't understand. His wife didn't understand. The promise was like taking a long time and, 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 and Sarah hasn't had a baby yet and years are going by and she gets the bright idea. You know the story. Hey, just go into my maidservant, have a baby through her. That'll be the fulfillment of the promise. Let's help God along since this thing is delayed. Let's help God along with the promise. Maybe that's the way. I'm sure Abraham in those days, you know, they had all this concubine stuff going on. They got like women hanging out everywhere and they're calling them all wives, you know. He's probably thinking, cool, you're in agreement with that, Sarah? Yeah, you know, we'll do this. So he sleeps with Hagar and she gets pregnant. It's not the answer. 
there's a place where he's talking to God. Just let Ishmael stand before you. He says, absolutely not. He's the son of your flesh and it needs to be the son of the promise, etc. And there's a, there's a lot of analogy there and I don't have time to get into all that, but it's very powerful and it's, it's fun to understand. But what I'm getting at is when he reaffirms the covenant, because God doesn't change. There's no turning or shifting of shadow. God came and made the covenant. He's the one that gave the promise. He came and he says in that chapter, I think it's the beginning of 16 or 17, and he's 17, he says, Abraham, he's, he's been inside of Hagar. He's, he's, he's got a child that he's not, he wasn't told to do that. So he did, it, did, it was wrong. I don't like to use that word, but I just want to be straight with it in that sense so you get the point. In the sense of right and wrong, it was wrong. It wasn't the way. And yet God said, Abraham, stand before me and be righteous. That's what he says. And then he reaffirms the promise and the covenant in the face of wrong. <laughs> that sure beats. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> Didn't I already tell you? Look, I told you. What? What? So, what? You just bent on working against me here? Just stretching my patience? What are you trying to form God in me? I am God! <laughs> just having fun with it, but I want you to understand. No, God saw what was going on. He saw that. But what he's saying is, I don't change. I, I don't change. And if you get a grip on that and you come to me and you allow me to love you and let my principles and my character and my integrity, my identity come down onto you and wash over you, you step into me and I into you, I can change you. You'll never change me, but I can change you. That's what God's saying through all that. Do you have a comment, question? Yeah, Susan. Thank you. And I just read yesterday in 2 Corinthians uh, verses, uh, chapter 3 and 4, this is confirming it. On Sarah's side, she is saying, even though, and it's talking about faith and it's talking about death to self. And she said, even though Abraham was dead in the, in the flesh that he couldn't produce, she still had faith for God's promise to come forth. Yeah, amen. Amen. And there's so much good stuff there. There's so much you could teach out about some of that early stuff that happened there. It's all with great purpose and it all points to Christ and what was coming. I just, I don't have time to get into that. I know we're talking, and I know I'm going slow today and I'm talking a little more broke down and detailed than I normally do in the sense, but we don't need to just preach this word L-O-V-E out real aggressive and passionate and miss it and misunderstand. I'm, I'm going slow on purpose. You know what I'm saying? And I'm giving you examples on purpose of the way you and I grew up that was totally normal, but it's not your creative value and it's not God. I don't want permission for the flesh is what I'm saying. And I don't want to teach in a way where I skip over all that and just call you to something that we don't really understand or see. Love is, look, it comes through a what? Pure heart from what? A good conscience and a sincere faith. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. It's one of, the, one of the, the, the most beautiful places to read concerning love because it's actually the Bible defining love. And 
a lot of people that are good people, good Christian people, that, that the gospel said that you understand Jesus died on the cross and you respect that and it touches your heart and, and you can watch a, a replay of that on a video or something and actually weep and say, God, thank you, Jesus, you're amazing. Oh my goodness, you did that for me. But, but yet we still don't understand love. We still let the way that seems right to man be integrated into our life. That's what stumbles us. Because the whole goal of our commandment is what? That means, watch this. Guys, this is intense. It means the whole reason you're born again is to restore back to love. To be restored back to the beginning. Back to His image and God is love. <laughs> well, I say this all the time. Don't get tired of hearing it. It's just the truth. We've made it a lot of the things. There's people that are Christians to get out of a jam, for God to bless them, to go to heaven and not hell. We've pushed that agenda. We've put self-interest behind our gospel preaching and made it about people to attract them instead of transformation. I don't know how much of us are out there really preaching transformation except we're, we're God just wants to do you good. God wants to bless you with favor. God wants to get you into heaven. God wants to do good things for you. Come to God so He can protect your whole family. Then your family comes under assault after you're a Christian and some kind of trauma starts to happen in your family and your first thought is, I thought He was going to protect me. And now the way you lived your whole life, you have the audacity and the ability and the permission slip to have that same attitude towards Almighty God, who's the potter. You follow me? Do you know how many Christians justify, actually justify, their views towards God when they're not healthy because of scenario and circumstance and they put God in the equation and now they actually have the audacity to look up the ability, the permission to look up and say, well, where have you been? Well, you said, well, I... and the same frustration they have towards Sally who did them wrong, they're expressing in their bedroom to God. So who are we in relationship for? Him and his glory or, or ourselves? He is not a genie in a bottle. <laughs> and the promises of God are not synonymous to abracadabra. <laughs> Come on. Come on. When you... I have listened to more sermons and preachers say that I care to remember say things from the pulpit about covering over disappointment towards God and saying it happens to all of us. Because life is challenging and I understand we've all been there to where we've all been mad at God. How many have been mad at God? And everybody will raise their hand and look and roll their eyes at their neighbor. And I'm thinking, we should be blowing that out of the water and say there is never a time or place. That is totally ludicrous and way off base. Why am I reserving the right to have permission and a mindset that allows me to have that and just say, oh well, we're just people, you know then what are we doing? What are we accomplishing? What are we becoming? If I have permission to turn on the one that delivered me, then I'm surely in it for me. We ought to expose that and blow that out of the water. I tell people plain up, it is absolutely insane to be mad at God. <laughs> I don't care how rational it seems. It's, it's not the truth. We're in a war. There's things going on. God is not rolling an administration ball from the table and playing charades with you. God's not messing with your head. He's not aligning circumstances that just freak you out and put you in limbo and then expecting the right response. He's not. 
He's not telling you to jump through hoops. He's not rolling the ball from the desk of administration today and patting little children on the hiney across the road and then rolling a ball and then bringing a car. He's not. Life is full of challenges and circumstantial stuff and demonic inspired stuff and sometimes accidents just happen. Sometimes the ladder just slips out and somebody falls a far way. It doesn't mean a devil kicked it and it doesn't mean God orchestrated it. Sometimes you just stumble on the stairs and a leg gets broke. And somehow we've had the ability to mystify all this stuff and, 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 and somehow God is in this place where he's sometimes accused. Well, where have you been? I don't even want the permission to even be able to think that, let alone speak that. I'll tell you where he's been. He's been on the cross and in the realm of the dead and raised triumphantly and ever since then at the right hand of God pleading on my behalf so mercy is over my life. That's where he's been. And he's been nothing but good that whole time. <laughs> you better get that in your, ear, in your spirit. Or next thing you know, the clay has issues with the potter. You're sitting and, you're, and your circumstances are being your teacher. And you have, see, I, I'm telling you, the Bible says to be rooted and grounded in what? In love. Rooted and grounded in love. If that's the truth, you'll never misread God ever again, will you? Will you ever suppose on Him? Would you ever be mad at Him? Love starts to dominate your life. You're rooted in ground. What about the people in Mark 4? They hear a word for their life and they get real excited and rejoice and get excited. Why? Because it's going to serve themselves. It's a self-serving word. They hear a word. They get a word. The seed comes. The sower sows the word. And some hear it and they go, Woohoo! That's my word, brother! And they go running out of church and they are excited and it seems like that thing is taking off in their heart and growing quickly. They get out in the heat of the day. It means the pressure of life, the circumstances and trials of everyday living. They get out in the heat of the day and what shot up so quickly soon thereafter withers. Why? Because it's right back in their face in disappointment and I thought that was my breakthrough. Well, if God, well then how come well, I got that word? Well, I don't know and that reveals that you're in a self-serving deception and you're in this for what God can do for you instead of how He can make you more like Him. Come on, I'm talking plain like this on purpose. You don't want your motive what He can do for you. It's how He can make you more like Him. If you're not rooted and grounded in love, some words just serve your emotions. Some words, people will, that's why people gather certain he, teachers, it says in the Bible, and to tickle their ears, they, they gather and heap up for themselves teachers that are saying what they need them to say and want them to say. Self-serving preachers for their sake. Not that the preachers, they just, they grab the people. It's like counsel. People will go around and they'll talk to 10 people and the one that tells them what they want to hear becomes their counselor. It's just true. You don't give people your advice anyway. You give them Jesus. If you can't find Jesus in your advice, don't give them anything. <laughs> well, you know what I think? That's a scary phrase. 
<laughs> Let me tell you what I would do. That's the way people counsel. Well, if I was in your shoes, I'd, I, I'd, I would feel like this, and I would probably... We're not giving people Jesus. We're giving them our own feelings and opinions and the way we'd respond. And sometimes the people that are giving that advice aren't even doing well themselves, guys. And the fact that they're able to give counsel and somebody's willing to listen actually makes them feel better. <laughs> oh, man. See, you, you just don't want that. See, a pure heart settles all that. Getting alone with God in prayer. Man, if, if I had any other motive be, for being up here at this point, it would be evident to me. <laughs> I couldn't live and deny it. I want to be in that place of grace. Do you see what I mean? I want to be in that place. And if I am denying, I need to just get out of denial and face some things, right? And get back on track, back into purity. But we're rooted and grounded in love. We're rooted and grounded in love. Love never fails. Love doesn't change its mind. Love doesn't seek its own. Love takes no account of a suffered wrong. So if God loves us and we love God, and that's the definition of love, this is an amazing relationship. If you love me and I love you, this is an amazing relationship. Because I don't take into account of a suffer wrong because for one reason, I don't seek my own. I don't love her for my sake. I love her because she's precious to God. So even if she'd blunder, even if she'd do something out of character, it just reveals that there's a place for her to grow, to see herself clear and see God clear so she can produce greater fruit. But why do I take it as a slap on the face when she's not alive for me? I'm alive for her. Did you get that? Come on, did God create her and create me and say, okay, Dan, you're in this position and she's designed to love you and you get you what you need from her? No, he created me from him and I get what I need from him. You get it? Now guess how we were all born into Adam. I was going to take you to Romans 5. I think I need to. I hope you guys are okay. I know I'm being a lot more detailed today than I usually am, but it's important. Please stick with me. Don't fall asleep. Don't get bored. This is this stuff. We got we to gotta, we gotta, we gotta understand this topic. If the goal of our instruction is love, we need to understand it. True? If I'm a Christian to become love, if, if it's all about love, if God says in 1 John 2, if God loved us this way, ought we not love one another? If Ephesians 5 says, you be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love just as Jesus loved and gave himself for us. A sweet fragrance and offering aroma to God. We're to love just as Jesus. What's the key? And gave himself for us. What is love? Love is selfless. It's not selfish driven. It's selfless. It gives of itself. Love is selfless. What is God so loved the world, he gave his son. Totally innocent, totally pure, totally surrendered and given, completely given. He turns around and says, you too deny yourself. Pick up your cross, walk through every injustice, follow me. True? So he's reproducing himself through the cross. He's the seed that's falling to the ground so he can spring up and bear much fruit. Yes. 
And here we are. We better understand why we're here. We're not here for better blessings. We're not here just for eternal security. We're here to be pulled out of the rat race of delusion and sin and selfishness and deception and Adam's fall and translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. Why? So that we're loved? Yes, but so that we become it. It doesn't stop with being loved. We just make it the love of the Father, the love of the Father. I'm cool with that. I preach it all the time. It's imperative because if I don't see that first, I won't love Him. But here's the problem. God loves me. I love Him. He loves me. I love Him. All of a sudden, I become loving. Oh my goodness, I love you. It's not, I love Him. He loves me. Bunch of weak-willed, mistake-making people. Well, who needs people anyway? I got God, and God loves me, and I don't need you. I don't care what you think, because Jesus loves me. That is twisted, whacked, and deceived. The only reason you have this is so it produces this. That's why God made us in his image, so his glory would cover the earth as we'd be fruitful and it's not a mist coming from heaven that's going to lay over the earth. It's you and I knowing who we are and living it. The glory of God revealed. Christ in us, the hope of glory. When Moses was in the wilderness, I saw you, Rachel. When Moses was in the wilderness and the people weren't getting it and they're obstinate and they're stiff-necked and they're just cycling and, and Moses comes and says, would you forgive him, God? Would you, God? And he's coming as a priest. He's coming as a shadow even of Christ. And he's just a good leader. And he's there crying out for them. He went through a lot of clothes, guys, in the wilderness. A lot of dust on the head, a lot of wardrobe. And he's praying for the people, right? And God says, okay. Yeah, I'll forgive them. But they're going to eat the fruit of this stuff. And there's seasons reaping, sowing, reaping, loss, sin, and death. There's stuff going on there. But here's the statement he makes. He says, but Moses, as surely as I live, I'm telling you, as surely as I live, the whole earth will be filled with my glory. You know what he was saying? He was prophesying redeemed people in and through Christ Jesus that were dead to themselves and alive unto God. He was saying as God in faith, I see what they look like now, but I see what I made men to be. And I'm telling you, Moses, they ain't getting it, and they're spinning and cycling. And you better believe I'll forgive because I'm a forgiving God. But I'm telling you, Moses, he was prophesying. Surely as I live, the whole earth will be filled with my glory. He's talking about people that understand why they're created. He's talking about the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he was talking about. He was talking about his people born again with a new heart in them and a new spirit, taking out the old stony heart and putting in a heart of flesh that's pliable and workable. You get it? Oh, it's so good. It's a big deal. Romans 5 says this. Look at verse, let's just jump in verse 12. Oops, therefore. Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Whoa. What were we? And while we were enemies, he reconciled us. Weren't doing anything right. You didn't do anything to qualify. <laughs> you didn't jump through a hoop, pass a test. 
He just sees the best in you. God's amazing. God's loud. Come on. When we have people on the earth that we feel are enemies, they need to really prove themselves for a long time till we can get over what they were. <laughs> Am I being straight with this thing? We like don't forget how they used to be and what they did. And see, God's amazing. When I tell how I used to be and I get in detail with it, I just did a little bit this weekend and somebody came up to me and said, it sounds so funny when you tell us how you used to be because I can't even imagine that. I said, that's the way it's supposed to be. I'm a new creature. I should be able to tell you about the old man. You go, huh? Because a brand new man's here. And they can't even imagine. I was telling a couple of those stories and they were like, I can't even picture that. I said, good. Because it's, it's over. What'd you have? Oh, you got that message thing going. Is this 10? Romans 10, uh, 5.10. If when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrifice and death of His Son. See, that's amazing. While we were at our worst. Do you see what love does? It hopes the best, believes the best. It doesn't lose sight of truth. I could be in delusion. I could be in identity crisis. And I can be doing the wrong thing big time. And God doesn't lose sight of my potential value and created purpose. Now that's love. And it's very rare that that level of love is found in people. I'm just making a straight comment. I'm not being negative right now. It's very rare. Because we haven't been taught that the reason we're Christians and the goal of our instruction is love. We think we're just trying to live pretty good and we're making heaven and we're doing the things we know we shouldn't and trying to stay involved in a ministry and serve in a church, read our Bible every day. That's the stuff we tell each other. Praise God. Welcome to the family. You just prayed the prayer. Yay. Here's your Bible. Read it every day. Get hooked up in a good church. Man, have a good life. That's, isn't that what we do? And then we get turned into Christians. <laughs> is it all right if I'm being raw and straight with this thing? Who, who knows that what I'm saying is what we do? And then some of us after five, seven, ten years get bored and wonder what the purpose is. And we get tired of, oh, well, and... And we, you know, it just happens. And then people just kind of in and out. And they're a little strong for a while or a season or a little crisis will push us back closer to God. And then the world says, oh, there, there they go, leaning on God again. He's their crutch. Well, I can tell, oh, they brought their Bible to work. They must be going through a tough one now in their marriage. That's what the world thinks right away because we've set that example and we've made it all about us. We're seeking God for us instead of become like Him. And, uh, yeah. Oops, hang on. Hold, chill, chill, come out. Jesus' name. Good, got it. We were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of His Son. Now that we're at our best, you went from your worst to your best because of Jesus. I like that. See, that's hard for us to grab sometimes. You just need to be simple with it and say, God said, God's doing this. Wow. Here's what He wants to do with that kind of radical expression of mercy. He wants to grab your heart <gasps> and just purify it in a moment. Your heart, if you really get real with the mercy of God and the righteous judgment of God, it'll purify your heart. Bam! It really will if you really get real with it. I believe the reason people struggle so much with receiving it because there's this strategy to keep it complicated and keep us from receiving it because if we ever see it clear and God's love clear, we're in love. 
If you ever just received the mercy and forgiveness and realized when you were at your worst, he brought you to your best. You remember, remember Abraham? Stand before me and be righteous. Excuse me? Uh, I feel a little like sin. But God, you knew what I did with Stand before me and be righteous. And then he reaffirms the promise. That's amazing. Now we're at our best. Just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Isn't that awesome? So we need to come into the gospel to say thanks. And... And, and, and I feel like some of us, it doesn't mean we have to rethink and get all retrained. It just means we have to enter him back into truth. Don't make it complicated, solically. Don't say, oh my goodness, I need to get retaught in almost every area of my life. It's not about, just grab the good news and run with it. It'll take care of what you were taught wrong. That'll just dispel. You're not trying to adjust everything. You're not going down a list and rerouting all your belief systems. Just get a hold of truth and let truth make you free. Don't complicate it. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. I, I'm excited for you. You are serious. That's good. I've been saved for 30 years, and I was taught with your te by myself with the Holy Spirit, and then man. You blah, believe blah, blah, some blah. other stuff, sure. And I'm just sitting here five weeks, and I go home every night, and I'm just saying, oh, thank you, God, thank you, God. It's just falling off of me. It's It'll just, just go away. It's just, it's just going away. It's replaced by truth. It'll just go away. You don't have to go re... Nowhere, nowhere. I just go with my father, and it's just like, oh, I'm doing what you're doing. It's all oh. Every day, it's like, oh. It's Is that what I do? That's what oh. I do. Huh? <laughs> do I do that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to rethink that with it. It's so good. It does. It's See, she's just a living testimony. When I'm sharing that, it's so real in her life that she just spoke out because it, it, just, yeah. it just it goes away. It does. I hear people almost think like they have to reroute their whole belief system and take everything line by line and rethink it through and adjust it. No, that'll dispel. It'll. You'll actually find yourself down the road chuckling, thinking, "Oh my goodness, I used to think this way, or I used to believe this way," but the truth's here now. You see what I mean? It's, it's not that complicated. It's actually truth makes you free. But, he, but here's the deal. So we're reconciled now, and we're going to be saved, sozoed, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole, and all that good stuff by his life. So it's because he lives. So his life is our life, and his life is in us. So this thing is a whole lot deeper and more powerful than praying a prayer to go to heaven, but it's not complicated. Just because it's a whole lot deeper doesn't mean it's complicated. It's simple. In fact, if it's not simple, it's probably not the clear gospel. Sometimes we're preaching, there's teaching out there that is so deep. And because we are still knowledge and knowledge and knowledge, you know, we, whoa, we go for the deep message and aren't even getting the simplicity that's in Christ. And we chase after the deep message and sometimes get so complex and so... <laughs> I'm not against intellect and people being intellectual, not at all. But please don't miss the simplicity of Christ. Look, we were unlovely, we were unworthy, we were born into Adam, but, but, but we, our inheritance is in Christ. We were created by God. We had a greater destiny, greater identity than we've ever seen or known, and God never lost sight of that. It's simple. So in love, He came and rescued us. 
without any demand, without any making you change anything. He just came and said, look, this is who you really are, and I proved it that you're worth it. And that's designed for you to go, wow, thanks. <laughs> really? Me? It's faith. That's right. That's faith. Because you don't always feel that way. Life sure isn't encouraging you in that direction. Sometimes your own family and the people that you've put demands and expectations and feel like are the closest to you are the ones you psychologically believe should hurt you the most. That if they're closer, they can hurt you more. That's what we believe. The average Christian still believes that. That the people closest to you can hurt you the most. That's what people believe. But watch this. You say you love them. Because they're so close to you, you put certain demands and expectations on them because of their relationship in your life. And now you're depending on them. And you're set up for heartbreak. And yet we say, I love you. I love you doesn't take into account of a suffer wrong. It doesn't seek its own. Follow what I'm saying? So people say to me, well, yeah, but that's my so-and-so or that's my so-and-so. Well, how would you feel? I mean, they are so close in my life. Well, that's why, because they're so close to me and they could just hurt me the most and I can't believe they just broke my heart. And I said, but you say you love them. Let's rethink this through. Wait a minute, whoa. Do you think God wants to be close with us? Do you think he made man in a very intimate and close way? Well, with what man did by now, we should have absolutely trashed God. He should need peace together and some serious counsel. I would think he'd have OD'd a few times and has some issues with addictions or something. He should have some frizzy hair or something. Why hasn't God fallen apart because of man's annex? Because he's love. God could be a broken up mess if he was anything like us. Here's the thing. We so relate to flesh and we've been so taught that that's God and this is us. That we expect that we have to be a certain way. Even though we see he's this way. And he's calling us into himself. And honestly, guys, I'm not ashamed to tell you. I don't have to hurt like I used to hurt. I don't have to expect like I used to expect from you. I don't have to be disappointed like I used to be. I don't have to live at your expense and put the weight on your shoulders as if you're the one that jurisdicts my day. I can be free from all that if I really see clear. Now, I'm either talking wacky right now and in denial or for a while I've been enjoying that truth and I have a real strong heart to preach it because it's a real good place to camp. See, when you go to sleep with you every night, you know who you are after a while. <laughs> You've met yourself, all of you. <laughs> and you know what's going on in your little heart, in your little mind. Don't you? So if things are clean and clear and good and love's actually flowing and you realize why you're on the earth and oh my goodness, I was created for this and it's such a free place. Love is such, it's the most, it's the goal of the whole thing. Didn't we find that in our Bible? It's the goal and charge of all our instruction. 
Isn't that what her, I think that's what it said, the go and charge of our whole instruction. It's love. It's the big deal of the gospel. It's the purpose of the Father. And we've made it go into heaven. And we've made it God taking care of us and blessing us. Think what we've made it. Protecting and providing. So as soon as something gets violated in your life, your arms are crossed and you're wondering where God's protection has been. We have set ourselves up for disappointment in our preaching of the gospel. And we have put God in the hot seat. And we've allowed men not to change, but to have an opinion. Because we haven't preached this thing clear. I'm being real straight with it, and I know I'm taking some risks talking that blatant and pointed. But most of us have grown up in circles that can relate totally to what I'm saying and understand that what I'm saying, it is, that's accomplished. The whole goal of our instruction is love. Susan, you can just give that to Jenny quick, and we're going to take a break here real soon. Do they have water now? Or? That would be amazing if you didn't have water now. I just got this vision while you were while you were teaching. And it's going back to Moses and being in the desert with the people and him interceding. And it's we don't have to be under the law and I got this vision of the bride of Christ being drugged through this having this garment that her gown is all dirty and dusty from all the, the desert dirt. And it's like we're not, it's like some are still under the law and emotions and expectation of people. And that the, the body of Christ, the church, is reaping what it sows because it's trying to live under the law. And then I got this beautiful, this spotless, wrinkled tree. And it was, it's Romans 5.10. It's what you just read from the message. Right. That we're under love and that we're free if we can truly get that part of it. That's right. We're, we are the finished product of how he sees us and what he's accomplished through his son. Here's what happened to us. Verse 11. And not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. So we were reconciled. Why were we reconciled? Because of verse 12. Just as through one man's sin entered the world. Just through as one through one man, sin entered the world. And death through sin. Thus death spread to all men because all men sinned. You have to understand what happened. The Bible says we were born into Adam. 1 Corinthians 15 explains it very clear, being born into Adam as well. And you have to understand that when Adam sinned, the image of God was completely perverted and shifted 180. And what was love became completely self-centered. He was love. And a, a minute ago, he was totally pure love. And he followed one temptation in the lie of the devil. Well, he, he actually, Eve was deceived scripturally. Let me just keep it straight so I don't get an email. <laughs> Eve was deceived and Adam followed Eve. God said, don't eat the tree. Eve ate the tree and Adam followed her. The charge that God gave Adam in Genesis is because you heeded the voice of your wife instead of me. Now, don't run an extra mile with that, husbands. <laughs> because you heeded the voice of your wife instead of me. 
Now, I know people say Adam was standing right there in the garden because it says in the book, Adam, who was right there. He was right there, but it doesn't indicate to me. I don't have a picture of Adam standing there listening to the same voice Eve was listening to. And then Eve, not talking to her husband, just eating, and then him going, well, if you did it, I'll do it. No, you heeded the voice of your wife instead of me. So obviously Eve compelled him to eat. She, she said, hey, it's okay. Or she said, hey, you know, I've eaten this tree. God just knew whether she repeated what the devil said or whatever. But Adam followed her and heeded her voice instead of God. Now, there's significance to me in that when I study that out, because here's the whole thing. God made you in his image and wants to reproduce himself in you again and again and again. Satan comes to take what's made in the similitude of God, twist it and deceive it and reproduce himself in what was intended for God again and again and again. You think about what God said to the devil, even about Jesus coming in your seed and her seed and your seed. As much as God sow in seed, the devil's trying to sow seed. He's trying to reproduce. He said, the day you eat the tree, you'll be enlightened. You'll know the knowledge of good and evil. You'll be God, like God, meaning you'll be a God. They were the sons and daughters of God already, right? They were already like God in His image. Here's the whole trick. It's as if something's missing, as if they could have more. You'll be a God unto yourself. You'll be just like God. So it takes away the connectivity to God, the lifeline from God. Remember the day you eat the trees, the day you surely die? Because what you're doing is you're cutting off your created value, your dependency, your existence, God, source of life. You're cutting that off and becoming a God unto yourself. Independent. That's sin. It's selfish. Self-preserving. Self-justified. Self-concerned. Self-pity. Self-self. Self-serving. We've been all these things in our life, guys. Who? Well, I didn't say that. Well, don't blame me. Well, why are you always looking at me? Why do you think I'm always the one that did it? And you're like cat in a corner. We've, we've all grown up this way. Did you eat the tree, Adam? The woman you gave me. First effect of sin. Self-defense, self-justification, self-protection. Yes or no question. He's standing there naked and ashamed, covering his own sin in the presence of God naked and ashamed, trying to cover his own sin and guilt and shame. And the more you try to cover it, the more you're aware of what you did wrong. That's why in the end, God stripped that all off of him and put his own skins on that he made up. And, and I know it's the blood atonement and an animal had to die to do that and I understand all that good teaching on the blood. But to me, it's just as strong a righteous identity. I'm taking off your sin garments and I'm clothing you myself. I'm making you right and I'm giving you a promise because you can't take care of your own sin, but I can love you. Oh. <laughs> See, they weren't made for those fig leaves. They were made for God's glory. So for now, God 
through till crisis comes and stuff. He he just something happened to an animal, but he covered them with the skins. Why? He robed them in the hope of that promise that God. See, because if they woke up every day and saw those fig leaves, what are they conscious of? But if they wake up and see the clothes God put on them Himself, what are they conscious of? The promise, a hope. He's still a father. My sin hasn't changed him. He loves me. And it gives you integrity and hope to live different. True? And all of a sudden, God is bigger than your mistake. Oh, it's been a sorry day if he'd have just left him in them little fig leaves. I mean, Adam might have liked it because they were skimpy and he's changed now and he's got a whole different view of Eve, but... Bad, bad preacher. Bad, bad preacher. No, uh, it's the truth. No, it's the truth. I had to get that in there. The, the price we're willing to pay to serve the flesh. Isn't that an amazing thought? Price we're willing to pay to serve the flesh. Because what they had before, that whole lust thing, was about unspeakable. <laughs> yeah. Just think about it. They have to replace those fig leaves every time they wear out. They have to sew new ones. It's a constant conscious reminder of the day they threw it all away. Dumb me. Can you imagine that? Well, why'd you... You can put your hand down, honey. I see you. It's okay. Uh, yeah. It's, it's like, can you imagine this? Life's tough now and it's miserable, right? And, and all of a sudden, Eve, who came out of the fullness of God in the man and who was flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, woman, woman, right? Not, whoa, man, woman. And all of a sudden he goes, why'd you have to eat the stupid tree anyway? You know, and then, well, you didn't have to follow. You're the one that, you were supposed to watch over me and cover me. I didn't realize what was going on. Where were you anyway? He, ah, he, ah. And she's blaming your fault, your fault, your fault. No, your fault. Well, you were the one that was stupid. Well, you should have. Well, you should have knew better. Well, if you'd have never ate the tree, I wouldn't have ate the tree. And regret and and as sin goes on, it's just blame shifting. And if it wasn't for you, my life wouldn't be a living hell. And rah, rah, rah. now, how many times have people lived that way since that day? And everything is everybody else's fault. And when you live in that mindset, it takes you out of the picture and you'll never deal with your own life or heart. And there's Christians that still live that way and they're praying about all those people in prayer, feeling justified, complaining, yelling, and expecting God to change those people. You follow me? Because they think if you wouldn't be this way, my life wouldn't be this way. And it's all a lie. We'll go to break after this. Dan, I just have a quick comment. Um, okay. Which I had quite the concern about the story of Adam and Eve, and it what helped me with it was when someone actually said that when God created Adam and he walked him around the garden and he, he um, had a relationship, you know, close with him, and they named the animals and they this and that, and eventually he gave him Eve, and she didn't have as close of a relationship with God at that point. Point, so it was easier for Satan to hit her with the deception. Thus, that took 
that made me look at it differently and hopefully a lot of other people because she was deceived more readily than Adam because, you know, so it almost transfers it back to who's, you know, it's not so much the blame of who did what, but but I, I used to think, you know, well, if it just clarified something with me because I didn't like the idea that Eve was the guilty one. You know, she's the one that... I don't, I don't see Eve as, Eve as the guilty one at all. I actually see Adam. It's, it's Adam's the one that's named... Adam's the one that it's the transgression of Adam. It's Adam actually committed treason. Eve was deceived. Adam followed her. So, yeah, nobody should ever blame Eve. The Bible actually says Eve was deceived. It doesn't say Adam was deceived. It says Adam followed his wife. Now, as far as the relationship and closer than Adam, I, I don't know where I would sit with all that. I don't know that you could prove that scripturally. What I could grab from what you said in that is, Walk close to God. Get to know God because you watch and pray. At least you fall into temptation. But if, if all they knew was God and God was the only thing there, she's not conscious of flesh. She's naked and unashamed until the tree. She had to have a pretty good revelation of God if she's covered with his glory and doesn't even realize she doesn't even have clothes on. So Eve came out of the fullness of God in man. So I don't really see scripturally that Eve was lacking anything that God was, was lacking. But there is a sense of headship, covering, priest. There's, a, there's an order there where Adam had a position. And, and I'm not sure, you know, you could ask till you're blue in the face to the end of time, what would have happened to Eve if Adam would have said, oh, honey, what did you do? No, that was forbidden and covered her and showed mercy. So I don't know how all that would have worked. But, but there's no indication that Adam had to eat the tree just because Eve did. So the point is, she followed after flesh now, instead of God. So there's a whole lot to learn there. But yeah, never would never uh, make Eve the guilty one. It doesn't demean women. It doesn't make you women uh, uh, an afterproduct. Then you're just weak vessels and subject for, you know. And there's some scriptures that are used like that against women. I don't believe that for a minute. Adam didn't have to do what he did. The Bible doesn't call it the transgression of Eve. It's the transgression of Adam. Adam's marked with the sin, not Eve. Eve was deceived. That's, that's pretty important. So I hear what you're saying. But I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm not, and I mean, I'm at the school, I'm in a position, so I'm not contesting you on that. I, I don't know that I would embrace that Eve had a lesser revelation of God in the sense that she didn't walk as close to God. She came forth from God. There was no awareness of sin. There was a total consciousness of God. And she was clothed with the same glory Adam was. They were both naked and unashamed. So she had to have total purity, total revelation of his goodness. And just all they knew was God. They didn't know anything else. They had zero knowledge of good and evil. So I, I believe she had to be walking in the same flow that Adam was walking in. But it's amazing how the sin, because watch this, just as one man's sin, it wasn't one woman's sin, it was one man's sin. It was more of a treason. It was a, it was a, it was a, he betrayed truth. He walked, he, I've heard preachers preach that he betrayed the kingdom of God. He, he followed after flesh. So it's just serious. I can't take that right now. We're going to have to go to break, but. Watch this. Thus death spread to all men because all men what? Sin. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. So the law exposed what sin was. So God sent the law to, watch this, provoke a conscience in man. You get it? 
Before the law, man was void of the consciousness of sin. So he provoked a conscience in him and set a standard to bring conviction and tutor us back to him to a savior. You got it? I know it's late. It's a quarter of. We'll take a break. Hang on if you can. I'm going to do this quick. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression. See what it's called? A transgression of who? Of Adam. Some of us haven't. We, we lived in ignorance, willfulness. We were, we were taught a certain way, and we come to the knowledge of the truth, and we go, Oh my goodness, what was I thinking? I was living for me. I was a God. This makes sense. I wasn't created for this. No wonder life's been so bad. And I didn't even wonder why. I even, oh, I didn't want to live after that. I was like, oh, life's a rat race. Now I understand. And you come out of that and say, man. And the message really, t- who knows there's people, the message really touches your heart. I would just put myself in that category. The night on June 9th of 95, when the gospel dawned in my heart, that was me. I'm like, duh. And I jumped over here. Now, since then, I don't believe I've committed the same transgression as Adam. I don't feel that in my heart. I don't think I can remember one time in my life where I said, well, I know better. Well, I shouldn't do that. Well, I don't need to do that. Well, that that ain't profitable. Well, I don't want to. Well, oh, well, God will forgive me. Oh, well. And then I just do it. I honestly don't have a memory of that. But have I ever missed the mark in the sense of missing the mark? Do you get what I'm saying? Have I ever just found myself in unbelief and being deceived into a mindset that wasn't producing God and His glory and faith and just believing the flesh and believing? It's all still sin. It still needs forgiven and matured and grown and all that. But this willful thing, willful sin and the transgression of Adam, the awareness following after flesh, says not not everybody's done that we haven't all doesn't it say that who knows that we believe that we all have to sin and 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 we almost always have it in the category of willfulness and knowing better and doing it anyway and then we teach ourselves that so you actually accommodate the flesh and you say oh well whatever and in the heat of the moment you go oh well god will forgive me or oh well well whatever you push right into it Look, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. How many Christians have walked in the cool of the day like Adam? How many Christians have had the intimacy with Adam and have walked without any shame and with what? How, and then all of a sudden, boom, he does what he does. So not everybody fits that category. But however, we've all missed the mark. True? From Adam to Moses. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many, what? Died much more by the grace, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace to the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. What he's saying is we were all born into Adam and we were all reaping the fruit of his transgression. We were all reproduced after his own kind. That's why we all must be born because we were born into that fall. And what was the fall? This is what we don't teach clear. I don't believe I ever heard this growing up. The fall of man was love to selfishness. 
That was the fall of man. Come on, that's so clear. The fall of man was love, boom, selfish, 180 degrees. Jesus comes and models what we were before that fall and says, follow me. And we're to love just as he loved. And he said, if you want to follow me, the first thing you have to do, Trish, is deny yourself. If you deny yourself, you'll have the ability to pick up your cross and taxi through every injustice and unfairness just like me. And now you'll really follow me. I don't know about you, but that isn't what was taught to me to come to Christ. It was just you sinned and he had to die because you sinned. You need to repent and accept him into your heart. That's how we preach the gospel in this country. And that doesn't transform our thinking or our lives. It actually a lot of times puts a mandate on us that we got to live better now. <laughs> now we feel obligated to God and we try to go through the Christian motions and put ourselves in the right places. But all the same things are still wrong if we're not careful. Better I'll go to break because I, man, I can really go on this one. <sighs> Have mercy on you right now. Go to break. But when you hear the bell, come back because I'm going to dig right back in. <laughs> oh, you're so easy to do that with. You're such a pure. I've really, I really, you guys signed up for the school and, and it's imperative that. Wow, am I starting before the bell? That is just last call. Last call. There's one last outpouring of truth and then the bar is closed. <laughs> last call. Oh God. Okay. So Adam came, okay, I ended with this. The fall of man, I would love for us to see the gospel this simple. It's all about first Adam, second Adam, love, selfishness, sin, redemption, okay? The first Adam came, transgressed. The second Adam came, manifested truth, made up for the transgression and fulfilled all the law, all the truth and modeled the life we're created for. So the first Adam came, we were born into him with a total fallen picture of who we are. Christ comes in the mercy of God. God reveals his love, his goodness, his mercy, his nature. Through all this, we see the truth about who God is. And it's just amazing. God is so magnified in the midst of this to me. I'm like, Whew, if, if he was anything like we grew up thinking, you know, the way we were thinking, our lives would have changed him. See, so many p times we identify God with man. We try to make him like us. And his whole intention is to get us back to being like him. That's why people have a hard time facing God when they do wrong, because they've been hammered so hard when they do wrong, and then they feel like God is so mad at them now. How many times have I heard people say, but God has to be so mad at me. He's so disappointed with me. No, he so passionately loves you and wants you to receive his mercy and forgiveness and crawl up on his lap and let him hold you. He's not mad at you. He's not going, you dummy. Hannah, how could you do this again? You're kidding me. Again? That's not God. 
elbow and Jesus. Did we say, did we write once for all? Why didn't we write except Hannah? <laughs> People live that way. They feel disqualified. Who's ever believed that? See, I'm using her because I know that is so not true. <laughs> That's why I'm using you. <laughs> it's not true for anybody. But you could be living in a certain way and all of a sudden believe that what? You're disqualified. God is so mad at me. God has to be so disappointed. Who's heard those phrases or maybe said that? God has to be so disappointed in me right now. His heart yearns for you, longs for you. When sin abounds, grace abounds more. I, I just said to the sister, I said, when, when, you, when, when we were at our worst, God's at his best. We, we actually brought the best out in God. And then Paul says, well, so should we sin so grace abounds? No, that's not the picture. But when we did, grace did abound, and God was revealed for who he was. But that doesn't mean we go continue to tempt the grace of God. We don't sin to bring the best out in God, but thank God our sin didn't trash him. Because our sin against one another has trashed one another. Thank God he's who he is. I don't know about you, but I want to follow the strength of that, not the weakness of the pattern we've all grown up with. Come on, how strong is my Christianity if it's just hanging in the balance for the next fallout and the next injustice and the next disappointment? I was asked some real good questions uh, uh, at the break, and, 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 and the one was, so is it wrong to, for, to hurt, for people to hurt? Well, I think we're, we handle that with such kick gloves. We, we've been hurt so much that we want to sympathize with people hurt and give them the right to hurt. And we say, well, you know, you are going to hurt. I don't want to hurt. I don't believe I have to hurt. I don't believe God's hurt. I believe he's hurting for people. I don't believe he's hurt by people. I believe he's hurting for people. I don't want to hurt because if I hurt, I open the door for sympathy, sorry for myself, the permission to be affected by your life in a negative way instead of edified and sharpened. The permission slip to be hurt says I'm still alive and you're alive for me. It says that I have expectations on you, but my expectation is from the Lord. I look up from whence comes my help. Come on. It's awesome when we do right to one another. It's awesome when you love and encourage one another and sharpen one another and edify one another. We're, we can do that. We're created and designed for that. But if I get in a self-centered way, an expectation where I put a certain identity on you that you have to be a certain way for me to be okay, I'm already in trouble. And I'm already going to be disappointed. And I'm already going to see you for what you've done wrong instead of your value and potential. Come on, we've done it our whole lives. We've broken relationships. We have shifted circles and little cliques and inner stuff and churches and Almost all the time, this is the stuff behind the scenes that justifies it. And unfortunately, you carry the same perspective into the new arena. To repeat the cycle again and again and again. And by the time you're 45 or 50 and you've been saved 25 years, you wonder who's really serious. And, and your level of understanding of Christianity gets so diminished and your heart gets so dull that you're just going through religious motions sometimes. But nobody's really for real and everybody has their hidden issues and there's nobody really pure. And some people get reduced to that because they've seen so much drama and stuff. 
And then they get calloused, and then that becomes their belief system. But here's, watch this. All the while, here's the model and example. Jesus saying, follow me, and he hasn't changed the whole time. <laughs> but we're trying to find ourselves through one another instead of through him. You following me? Look, I, I think healthy relationships are important, and I think sowing into one another and loving one another and, and pouring out, that's the Christian life. But if I have a catch to that and a, and a motive to that that just as quick allows you to hurt me, disappoint me, then there's self-interest. There's something in it that gets unhealthy. It's like that I love you thing that we have with the thing I was saying about the people closest to us. And, and that's a rational thing. And he was very humble. He said, yeah, I, I believe that. But the truth is the people closest to us shouldn't have any more permission to break our heart all the more. Now they're getting close to us at the cost of us. It's vulnerable then. No, I love you. What you're saying is, well, yeah, but now, see, here, here's the deal. And I use this one all the time because it gets the room real quiet and it freaks everybody out. And I don't mind that. We need freaked out. <laughs> we do. We need shell-shocked out of traditional thinking. And the way that seems right to man needs absolutely pummeled by the truth. It is common in the church for us as human beings to feel sorry for the people that we're trespassed against. And then ostracize in our heart and mind and judge the person that committed the offense. So now he's the enemy and poor so-and-so. The reason it's so obvious and normal for us to respond that way is because that's the way we're living and we're already carrying our own issues and pains. And we feel bad for people that are hurting because we've spent so much time hurting. Okay. So Chelsea is sweet. She's so sweet. You are. You are. So somebody does something totally unjust or unjust to her. The tendency is to embrace her and go, Oh, honey, I am so sorry they did that to you. I can't believe they did that to you, honey. Man, they should have known better. You must be so hurt. I can't imagine how you must feel. We need to pray for them. And oh, honey, I need to pray for you, God. And we stroke and cuddle and pamper. And we call that sensitive. Being sensitive. And the whole time, the person that committed the act is the villain. And you're the victim. So in on my whole expression to you, I have to be very careful. I'm not victimizing you and making you the poor little thing that got trespassed against. Because actually what I'm telling you is that you are vulnerable, you can be hurt, and it's a shame life's unfair and people don't, aren't living with more integrity. And I'm sorry you have to pay the price for people's weakness, honey. Sorry you were in the way. Oh... Why is it so normal to, to minister that way and then have the bad impression? See, because here's the truth. This is the truth. She's not the victim. She doesn't even have a problem. She's in Christ. The person that's living this way that would do something to her is the one we should be concerned about. They have, there's something wrong. There's something they're not seeing, missing, shifting. There's something Missing. Just because they did injustice 
in her direction and she was doing something. They did something that they shouldn't have done or they stole something or they said they were a friend and got close enough and then uh, violated something and took off with something important and they had other motives and all of a sudden I can't believe they did to me. Who can I trust now? I don't know who I can even trust. I don't even know if I want a friend in my life anymore. I don't even know if I can ever get close to people. I need to put up boundaries and walls and keep myself protected. And God, you're my defense and I'm just going to hide on an island with you because life is tough. And now you're reading all the Christian books, how to protect yourself from people. Because of all your former hurts and broken, violated boundaries. <laughs> I've honestly learned to live with none. I don't have them. <laughs> you can come as close to me as time and grace permit. Because you're not a threat to my life. Nothing that I have is mine. I don't have to set a boundary to protect myself from you because I'm not vulnerable to you. I love you. Could you imagine that? We're all trying to get to God and he has all these fences reinforced around him because we broke his heart so many times. Hello? See, when you put God in the picture, it sounds hilarious because we know he's not that way, but we're made in his image. It should sound just as crazy with us in the picture. Here's what rationale says. So you have a marriage and somebody shuts down. Now there's unresolved. Now there's lack of communication. Now... There's needs rising up. Now there's not growing in Christ. They're more aware of what we don't have instead of what we should have. And now spouses start feeling sorry for themselves. And now the wife and the husband isn't meeting each other's need. And now all of a sudden it's no longer a good flow and covenant. And all of a sudden all this is being justified through human reasoning, psychology, just natural reasoning. And then all of a sudden now that you're attracted in a direction you normally wouldn't be if everything was healthy. And now that seems like love and that seems like the answer. And now you're reduced back down to self-centered, self-serving living. And yet you're married and you've given yourself to another and said, till death do us part, all that is mine is yours. But now issues rise up and now we're taking account of suffered wrongs. And now we're being reduced back to what we were before Christ ever came. And we have all the reasons why. Because they aren't this, 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 and they've been this, and they... I can tell you how many meetings I have sat in, and people force you. They, they feel like they have to lay out their laundry list of why they're the way they are and dish on their, their loved one. And I don't do well in those meetings. Usually, honestly, don't even tolerate those meetings. If I can avoid them, I will avoid them in the sense of I'll pull it into truth and, and, and try to bring a conviction in them to where that's not important. But sometimes they absolutely have to share the dirt. And, and then I let them and then I can get them. <laughs> sometimes you have to let them and then get them. Because if you don't let them, you don't even have their, vo their, their ear. You don't even have a voice. You know what I'm talking about. You'd be amazed the whole time they're doing the laundry list, they're trying to gain your favor and gain your power and get you to agree and get you to be biased and just absolutely trash the person they're in covenant with. Man, if God did that to us, If he would call a meeting 
and begin to nitpick. Not even nitpick, just be real and just share the straight up stuff. Would we be in trouble? Why do we want this amazing love and even pursue to be loved by Him and not willing to give it and become it? If it's so desirable for us, why wouldn't we offer it to the world? Because of the selfish lie. So here's this victim thing. So all of a sudden, I'm wrapping my arms around her saying, poor you, and here's what I'm doing in the, in the church. I'm actually giving her permission to be hurt and feel sorry for herself because of the violation when I talk to her that way. I'm actually expecting her to be that way. And I'm accommodating it. You follow me? Instead of teaching her the heart of God and getting this whole situation in its right perspective to look through truth and righteousness and justice and mercy so that she has absolutely lost nothing, if in anything she's been given the great privilege of manifesting the heart of God and being when nobody's looking in a place of prayer through a pure heart and a clear conscience and a sincere, genuine faith, which sounds like love. <laughs> Did you get that? Now she's praying this way, not because she's hurt. Not because I can't believe they did that to me. God, why don't you intervene in their life and change their heart? Oh my God, they're going to hurt so many other people if you don't do something. <laughs> Where's faith in that? Where's love in that? Where's the value of that person in that? The one I use that freaks everybody out and gets the room quiet is marriage. So this marriage thing, and it's drifting away the laundry list. Next thing you know, they're drawn in a direction that they wouldn't even be drawn if things were healthy. Did you catch that? I'm telling you, it's a needs-driven delusion and people call it love over and over and it's the world deluxe. It's fallen man deluxe. It's man trying to lick his own wounds and feed his own needs. And all of a sudden, he's in love or she's in love and this person loves me. No, this person knows you're a hurting person in marriage and so are they and they have just as much need and you're vulnerable and it just works. You'd be amazed how the guys in that arena know exactly what's going on. How's that for straight talk? And how they target certain situations and the vulnerability of certain women. The Bible talks about men who creep into the households of women who seem to be given the truth but can't come to the knowledge of it and they get loaded down with sin consciousness and driven by need is what it means. And all of a sudden they're trying to find themselves through every other means than the way they're being taught. And instead of coming to the knowledge of truth, they're trying to find themselves this way only to feel worse about themselves because it's never quite that awesome after it's over. But for a while, it seems like they're valuable. I don't know. I'm on this topic. God, help me. Please help me. I've learned by being a man in the world and being around men in the world that when a man can function with a woman sexually, it doesn't mean that he feels anything necessarily for her. It means he's a man that's driven by his selfish need. And there is lies behind the scenes and in the locker rooms and jokes and derogatory stuff about women 
that makes me cry because women fall into that and get abused in their identity and trash spiritually because they're giving themselves to these very men that talk this way all the time. Were you ever in those men's circles, guys? And the way they talk and degrade in the sexual language and... God help me. Let me just get gross and raw with it because I can't get away from it. For some reason, it needs to shell shock something or do something. Jokes and comments like, who cares what they look like as long as they have the right stuff. Hey, at least it's a woman. Hey, put a bag over her head if you have to, but get her done. That is common language in men's circles. Now I'm getting really straight, okay? We need to see how gross and horrible and lost sin is. And there's women every day giving themselves to that trash because they feel if a man can function with them, it makes them feel beautiful, important, or like somebody. No, it's because the man you're with most of the time is driven by need and selfishness and he's just putting another experience in his resume. So women, please grow close to Jesus. Young ladies, single ladies, divorced ladies, please. Don't fall into that lie. You're so much more. Please. Please, please, please. Pornography is the most twisted, deceived, self-centered fantasy on the planet. And if Satan has taken the time to exploit sexuality to the magnitude that he has, there must be an amazing holy root there. There must be something so pure at the well. For him to try to contaminate it like he has. There must be something incredible. Yeah, got a hand up. Isn't it amazing how we get on these crazy lines of the topic? I'm trying to preach love. And I guess we are. I'm, I'm going to take you down a real rabbit trail. Oh no! Yeah, this, this is this is grieving me um, terribly because I have a lot of friends and myself, and we have a lot of college students, our children, and they're all experimenting with homosexuality. Seems like that's where everybody's going. What are your feelings on that. I guess we'll just have to read the scripture. Yeah. It's not my word. Romans 1. Let's just read it quick. See, that's the thing. We're experimenting. Did you hear her phrase? No. So we're testing out life. We're searching and the truth's already come. The answer's already here. So man justifies his feelings, his needs, so all of a sudden he spiritualizes things. He even says, God made me this way, this, that. No, people are experimenting. Sometimes there, there are uh, spirits that have tracked families and, and, and convinced at a very young age people of this stuff. And it's actually spiritual stuff a lot of times. It just is. But here's what it is a lot of times as well. It's people experimenting with life. They have convictions in their heart. 
Paul says there's going to be no man with excuse, you know, et cetera, et cetera. This is an intense section of scripture. I don't teach out of it much. I don't read it much. Here I am in the school and all these people online, and now we're reading this. You know how people will talk like they know God and they'll talk spiritual? You know how people can be at a bar and the drunker they get, the more open they get and they start sharing their beliefs and all of a sudden God becomes very acceptable in the conversation but before the beers, you can't get near them with God. But what happens is their real beliefs come out and a lot of it is arrogance, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, deception, it's just opinions of their mind and, and they're talking and it's just... Which means that people do have convictions. People do... Believe there's a God. But we're trying to take him through the eye of our needle. And we're trying to find a God that fits our life. Instead of transforms it. You're going to see this. Jesus came and healed a blind man. And the blind man met him on the street. And Jesus walked up to him after. And they, the Pharisees grilled this poor fellow, right? The blind man, you know that story, right? And Jesus walks up to him. There's a group of Pharisees hanging in the wings listening. And he says to the man, do you believe in the, in the Son of Man? He said, tell me who he is, Lord, so that I might believe. He said, it's he who's talking with you. He said, I believe, Lord, I believe. It's a beautiful thing. And he said, for this reason, I came into the world. So that those who are blind might see and those who see are made blind. That's an amazing phrase. And the Pharisees, I love watching those, the Matthew, Gospel of John videos. It just, because it's word for word scripture. It's like reading your Bible and there's a visual there. These Pharisees, you know, they have them real like indignant, like prideful gestures. Surely we're not blind. This is arrogance. Surely we're not blind. Jesus says something so absolutely incredible that it's, he says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But because you say we see, your guilt remains. People professing to be wise, people confessing to know God without knowing God and coming, da, 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 da. It's, there's a self-righteousness, there's a pride, there's a thing that, it's, there's, there's, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. That's an amazing phrase. I look at that and I look at that and I go, wow. So before Christ came and was lifted up to draw men unto him, before the Holy Spirit was here on the earth in the way of illumination, conviction, and under the new covenant, wow, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. I wonder if that's always the case now. Or if people are being convicted by the love of God. If people are getting sown seeds of love into them. If God's ministering to people all the time. Speaking, drawing, wooing. Paul says just looking at nature itself yeah. reveals that he's God. That a man can't even get away with it no matter what he says. There's some phenomenons about creation and nature that just says there has to be God. You get what I'm saying? 
But watch this section of scripture. This is intense. I don't know if you'd expect me to read this after a question like that. But this is, this is happening a lot. And it can certainly happen to Christians. I just have to inform you. I haven't pastored forever, but long enough to know that nothing shocks you. And that there's things that take place in people because of insecurity and identity. I have a young lady that calls me kind of regular. It's minister identity, minister identity. And when I first met her, her answer was, when I'm feeling down and don't feel much like value, I'll go out and find somebody that wants to sleep with me because if he wants to sleep with me, he's picking me out of all the other girls and he's performing with me and he's climaxing with me so I can bring him to that place so I must be pretty special right now. And then the minute it was over, she'd feel like filth. And even though she felt like filth, the next time she got real low in her identity, she'd go do that whole cycle again. And now when you're up as a young girl, up to 10, 12, 15 guys, now, oh, whatever, I'm used goods, and what's it matter? I mean, so many men have known me, and, and all of a sudden it's the same as a drug addiction. I'm trying to survive now and find myself through the little bit of a moment that a man wants to be with me. When she's not understanding, that man would be with anybody available. Pornography is so impersonal that a man will watch it and conform and function just watching a woman he doesn't even know. There's nothing intimate about it. It's just lust. It's selfish. This is, pornography is the grossest form of perversion in sexuality that will ever be. Because a man gets caught in it and he can give himself and, 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 and in, a, in a self-serving way and he doesn't even know the personality of the woman and he doesn't care because he sees how she looks and then the other women in the world come under the pressure of beauty and glamour and the world and what the world says you need to be as a lady. And we follow the pressure of sin. <sighs> nothing wrong with being pretty but you're a whole lot more than your looks, I promise. And you are nothing less if you don't look like the lady everybody says is glamorous. You are nothing less. And my God, I hope we understand that and get that someday. It just grates on me. You have no idea. You, and I'm not trying to win you ladies' favor. You have no idea how I have cried for women in intercession because of the lie that I see all the time and the counseling and the broken hearts and the young girls that have so much value that have put themselves in the gutter of dishonor trying to find love. And the men that would willingly abuse them and do that for their own gain and sake. And just walk all over them in that place and even call it love in the process. It's got to stop. Don't you ever give yourself to that lie, you young ladies. Ever. And if you already have, let it never happen again because of truth. You say, what was I thinking? Duh. Thank God I'm changed. I have young ladies that have gotten married and their virginity was restored. I know people that lost their virginity, got married, and everything was like they never were with a man because they knew now and understood impurity and all the stuff, and God just mercifully went, boop. Yeah. 
I like it. I've done weddings. I look at people, and I knew the one lady. She was a drug addict, and she was married and married a bunch of times because of the drug life, and it had nothing to do with love, and now she's saved, and now she has a husband, and she's getting married, and I remember singing and praying and prophesying, and you never have done this before. Look into his eyes. Look into her eyes. You have never stood in this place before, and you ought to be wearing white. My, you look so good in that white. You were created for white, and I, ah, but pastor, she was married she was lost and unsaved and not born again and bound in drugs and she died and now this one's born again and this is the first time and yay and I'm telling you and it was a reason because her family's out there sitting well here she goes again well I want to know well I want to know well hang on number four but they're at the wedding cynical and in spite of not even understanding the power of God and the potential of the gospel so when I preach this passionate and strong don't you dare believe the lie of condemnation if you've already fell into that trap because of the starkness of what we're saying the intent is that it empowers you to say I'll never reduce my value like that again and live so surface never I have learned a painful lesson but a lesson nonetheless and I will not repeat it and you just give yourself to him and honestly speaking, if we would just grow close to God and find ourselves in Him, you would never have that vulnerability in your life. To know the love of Christ is to be filled with all the fullness of God. How's that for straight preaching? Now look, it's either true or it's not. Either He's enough or He isn't. You're not trying to find love. You've found love. And it puts your life in proper perspective and definition. And then when love comes this way, it is filled with Jesus. And if he's not in the center of your relationship at the beginning, what makes you think he will be when you get married? If he's not the reason you're together, why would he be later? It's just straight stuff. I'm just talking plain. I don't pull punches because we have allowed ourselves and given ourselves permission to be deceived in these things. And we won't just get real and face the truth. And I just don't have any trouble preaching it out really straight and strong. Because my heart has cried enough over this stuff. And I know I care for people. What's up? Forgive me for, as I can't help, some of the passion and emotion in all this. I it's love real. your passion. Proverbs 4, starting at verse 20. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Straight, look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on a safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Amen. Good, sober living. Let me just read this because of her comment. I'm just going to read. Oh, God. I'm going to read this uh, in light of the question about the whole homosexuality thing. This doesn't fit everybody, but this sure. See, there's some people that literally believe they were made that way. There's some people that, and, and there's some demonic construing. They're from little up. Uh, the devil's wicked. 
You know, somebody will have an experience when they're seven or eight and it's with same sex and then this voice just keeps coming and these desires follow it and these feelings and all of a sudden this is who I am. I've found myself. And it's sometimes very difficult to just try to talk somebody out of that, right? It, it takes, first of all, your heart of love for them. You can't just try to set somebody straight. Look, you're not on the earth to set people straight. If you're just trying to change their life because it offends you, don't even talk to them. Get a grip on your own heart. You have no capacity to minister unless you love. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm in a raw mood here. I usually am, but <laughs> you don't even have any permission. You don't even have any, don't even, there is no validity in you trying to set people straight just because you know they're wrong. We, 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 make it, we, we cover that and lay that over. Well, I care about people. Well, I don't want to see them go to hell. And, but yet, deep down in your heart, you're bothered by their life. You're offended. Or why do they do that? Think it's okay. And, and you let other things motivate you instead of the value of the person. If you're trying to approach a person in a topic as sensitive as that without the value of the person in the highest regard and the purpose of love in your heart, please don't even address them. You're going to cause a lot more trouble. You're going to throw them into a bait. You might actually harden their heart and secure them all the more in rebellion to do it all the more. You might have just a strong enough talk with them that day and just throw them right into the arms of what you're trying to pull them out of. Just because of touching them wrong. You might be amazed how that all works. And you say, well, it ain't my fault. They didn't have to react that way. Well, no, you don't touch people outside of love. You don't need to set people straight. You let God work with your own heart and you become like him and then you'll have grace to address people's issues. Amen? Come on, it's just straight and true what I'm telling you. You hear me sober. I'm not being harsh when I say this. I'm saying it's sober for a reason. Some of us are trying to find ourselves in our counseling and in our ministry. You find yourself in Christ. And that opens the door to counsel and ministry. I just know how that works. I never asked to be a pastor. I was asked to be a pastor. I never asked to travel. I'm asked to travel. I never asked to counsel. My phone rings all the time. It's funny how it works. But there's something healthy about that picture. Amen? There's something really healthy about that picture. Verse 16 of Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first and also the Greek. You're gonna, you guys are going to be amazed. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to go back to what I was preaching. I'm going to let the words speak. I ain't even going to make one comment. I'm just going to read. And some of you don't believe me. You're going to find out I'm serious. <laughs> for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. This is the Bible. For since the creation of the world, his visible, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, 
so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God to the image to an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things, all other forms of worship and gods and things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. He doesn't control you, church. In the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty and the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... He gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. And being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceitfulness, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only to do the same, but also approve those who practice the same. Sounds harsh and unloving and unforgiving, and where's the mercy of God? Listen to your response. Therefore you are unscusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. That's what I'm talking about, never ministering apart from love. Because you're trying to adjust things in people's lives that you're dealing with in your own. You follow me? And he goes on and he teaches and he's actually talking to the church here. Here's the good news. Somebody we just read about here. If they come to their senses, if they repent, if they go, God, what was I thinking? I have so thrown my life away. Would you have mercy on me? What's God do instantly? Instantly. What's he do? And they're no longer in that description, are they? Period. But look at what men choose. Look how strong the Bible teaches that people have no excuse. That God is making himself known inside of people no matter what they're saying. Pride masks it. Self-righteousness is envy, murder, and all this stuff. And the fall of man talks around it and ignores it and suppresses it. You'd be amazed how there's people that have the knowledge of truth and every day live against that. And know it in their conscience. And what happens is illicit desires, things, right? He gives them over. He, he just gives them over to a debased mind. All of a sudden, like a brute beast, by sheer instinct, you walk into destruction. And it's the peril of self-ruled, self-willed, self-instructed living apart from God. And it shows that man has no sense of who he is apart from him. You see what I'm saying? Ministering that to people and sharing your creative value and love and the natural use of the woman and man and the fruitful and multiplying, the reason a man has seed. Why does man have seed in his body? Why does he have sperm cells in his body if he's supposed to hang out with another man who he can never impregnate and multiply? 
It's just God. Come on. He made us with a reason. There's reason to our created value. We're not happenstance. We didn't evolve from monkeys. There's a reason women have a hymen in their body, in their vaginal canal, a layer of skin. It's for the day they cut covenant with their man. It's so that the man can go into her and inside of her, into the holy place, <laughs> past the outer court and the inner court, and she opens up and he goes into her as far and close and intimate as a man could ever be with a woman. And in the process, he breaks that. And there's a secretion of blood and there's blood in his semen and the two's blood mix and they cut covenant. The hymen never grows back. It's intended for covenant. It's there by God. We're made by God. The hymen is a sign waiting for covenant for the day you come into his fullness and his love and you find love in another in that same Christ and two come together forever. We're together. I am yours and you are mine. And bang, there we are in that place. And the covenant is cut and the blood, the, the tissue breaks. It's Hebrews 10. Uh, through the sprinkling of blood and the veil which is his flesh, we enter into the holy place of God in his tabernacle. It's a spiritual union and communion. Intimacy with a man and a woman is the flesh experienced by the spirit and it's the closest thing to your communion with God that can ever be experienced. Man and woman and woman and man, God and man and man and God. Through the sprinkling of blood and the veil of flesh, he passes out past the outer court, the inner court, into the holiest place through the blood and through the veil. It's intercourse between a man and a woman in communion, in covenant with God. It's the same expression. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. God and, and, and Christ and the church and man and woman. And he makes it a parallel the whole way through. But it's, it's, a, it's the same. It's, it's a great mystery. He makes it like one. Christ and the church and man and woman. Do you think God put the little tissue of skin in there by accident? Do you think there's great purpose? Now we've turned it into sexual desire, needing to find ourselves. First kiss at 16. Did she kiss you? Did he kiss her? Did she? Mothers, the, the girl coming home from the prom, did he kiss you? I'm in trouble. It's all there for a reason. Because God created us for his glory and his pleasure. Can, can, I, can I be raw with this? Are you okay? We got young folks here. Are you guys good? Because I'm feeling real raw right now. Because that man language, that school, growing up in school. Did you pop a cherry? Did you take a cherry, dude? Whoa, dude, you popped a cherry. God, have mercy on people. That's not a day of rejoicing. That's a day that you, without understanding, gave up something that God gave you that has great purpose. So if you did that, you're not condemned. It's not over for you. I can preach this boldly. It doesn't condemn you. It causes you to pick up honor right now. And see the value of your life now that you understand. And never devalue yourself again. 
and live for that prize of true union and communion, one with another in Christ Jesus. When God taught me this in my life, it was an amazing thing. Sex drive was absolutely obliterated by the holiness of the truth, I'm telling you. And I wasn't no longer a man in need. And hey, honey, it's been three days. Because I love, not need. I've never read a book on sexual intimacy in the Christian life that's even close to the truth. It's all the world made Christian with Christian language tied around it. It's the same needs, same desires. 50, I've never read a Christian book that's even close to the truth of sexuality in Christ. Where it's not even about an orgasm, it's about oneness in his presence and the profuseness of love that's unexplainable, that hovers over you like under the hoopah that they married under and that they consummated their wedding under, under the hoopah representing the covering of the presence of God. Why does he say don't defile the marriage bed? What does it mean? Don't bring the neighbor in? Well, of course not. But it means don't bring the flesh in. You live in the spirit. It's not time to take off Jesus and roll in the hay. Because I need you, honey. Hey, you're mine. Your body's not your own, remember? It's a holy thing. It's an I love you thing and a trust in that love and a giving of yourself. It's in the fullness of the love. And the woman opens herself up to that love in the total place of covering and embrace. And God revealed and security and already understanding her beauty and value. And she opens herself up and the man in that love, they just respond in that love. And two are one and it's the most holy thing on the planet concerning two people. And we've turned it into sexual desire. Preachers preach that God gave us our sex drive. It's the grossest error ever preached from the pulpit. Sex drive came from man's fall and selfishness. And now he needs a woman to feel like a man. It's the biggest lie from hell. God didn't make woman because Adam had an erection and had nowhere to put it. God made woman because man was profuse in love. And he made woman to receive the beauty of that love in holiness. And the two become one and multiply and cover the earth in that truth. Not hurt and abuse and sleep with you tonight and curse you tomorrow. Sleep with you tonight and tell you how beautiful you are and how much I love you. And then argue where we're going to eat tomorrow and have attitude why we're eating because I didn't get my choice. And tonight I hope we get over this because I'm off work again and I'm hoping we can get it on. I'm being very explicit and raw on purpose. We've been taught that way our whole lives and it isn't even close to the truth. And every Christian sex book I've ever read is the world masked with Christian language and need and sex drive. To know the love of Christ is to be filled with all the fullness of God. You can't find need there. True? All the fullness of God. The word means a house with no empty rooms. Young ladies, you don't need a boy to like you to feel worthy. 
You need to know Jesus paid the price for your life and it makes you worthy. You're worth the blood of Jesus. The truth about you is first found in Christ and can only be expressed through that with another. Or there's ought to be a bunch of other muddy stuff in the way. And then we have to try to heal through that and get right through that. We jump the cart ahead of the horse and then we reduce certain things of integrity. Well, God will forgive us and God will... And we learn to compromise and never really with unveiled face really draw close enough to truth to ever be free. When are we willing to pay the price of our life and not be distracted by things that are selling us short? It's the hardest thing we think for the youngsters because they're first growing up and attracted to the other sex. And, and, the, and, the, and when you hold the hand, watch this. When you hold the hand, I can do this and be very clean with this. When you're 14, 15, and all of a sudden they're holding your hand, the emotions that are involved in that are ridiculous. The mind and the spinning, and you're at a movie, and he slides in and takes your hand. And the mo it's, it's ridiculous. And you're 15. And it's real. And it's like the greatest moment of your life. I'm being real. We build on this stuff and we write movies on this stuff and we accept it as normal. The Bible says it is not good that a man touch a woman. Did I just sin? Am I in sin? Am I in sin right now? It is not good that a man touch a woman. He means with desire. How do you hold her hand at 15? How do you kiss her on the lips at 17 and not have desire if Christ isn't the dominating factor in your life? Come on, we're getting real with this thing. I don't know if you're ready for it, but it's still the truth. I got so much emotion in me. I'm so overwhelmed right now. I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how we got here. How'd we get here? It's your fault. <laughs> Susan, cast her out of school and never let her come back. Send her into the wilderness. Put everyone's sins around her neck. Go. <laughs> I love you. Stone her. She stoned me. Stone me. I prayed to pay the price of my life to get the truth into the school. You can kill me. I've given my life. <laughs> if my question provoked truth, so be it. But let me die. <laughs> but so be it. See how lighthearted God's letting me get right now because I'm about undone. That's how he, he's so good. You have no idea how serious I am about what I'm crying out to you. And it's hard for me to even take sometimes because it's so real. And I have, I have seen this thing. Well, what I'm saying is it's, 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 look, it's not good that man touch a woman. That's in your Bible. But we have need in our lives, so we have to get close, and, we have to, and it means so much, and we call it expression. And, but I'll tell you what, if, if we were humble, especially us older folks, and us 20-year-old up, even early, late teens up, if we'd be honest, one touch leads to another touch. Closeness needs to more closeness, leads to more closeness. And, and all of a sudden, it's not good enough. It has to be more expressed and more intense. And next thing you know, we're fighting, trying not to cross lines that we want to cross, but no, we shouldn't cross. It's this whole cycle. But we accept it as what? 
the way it is for everybody. <sighs> oh, you're a bold woman. Class, get your stones. Because depending on this question, I might say, FIRE! <laughs> I'm having fun. I know. I know, but see. But I am nervous. No, you have no idea how nervous no, I am. No, don't be nervous. Oh, I am. No, There's no way around it. You don't have to be nervous. I'm already nervous. I don't know how to. I don't know how to pray because I homeschooled my children, and I wanted so badly to raise them to be like you. You said I didn't want them to kiss. I wanted I them to be courted and. Which well, good to have that desire, Mom? But they didn't. I understand. But you, so they can't ride your faith. You can't reclaim what Did you been. have, the, the, what I'm sharing right now, did you have the understanding of what I'm saying? See? Who's had the understanding of what I I'm saying books. and teaching? You know, what young lady, what young lady in this, goodbye. watch this, what young lady grew up going, wow, I just learned I have a hymen. Wow. I see prophetically that that's the sign of God for covenant one day. And da da da. And we're going to cut covenant and blood and blood. And we're going to be one forever. This is, a, this is something to protect and guard because there is someone in line for my life, one man to be with forever till I die. Who grew up with that? You did. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Mom is. Your mom is so good. I want to hug her now. <laughs> but see, she had that. Her mom had that. That's no guarantee. No, no, I'm no suggestion. Olivia. That's no guarantee that Olivia, just because mom knows that in parts, that Olivia is going to go, yes, mom, and live that and fulfill that. But it's right for mom to what? Teach and impart that. At the same time, when we teach and impart that, we have to understand that sometimes people do what people do. Sometimes they don't go close enough to God and get the security and strength in God that they're to have. And, and then all of a sudden they find themselves in weakness instead of strength. And they cross the line that you prepared them to never cross. And we also have to be just as godly parents then to jump in right there and rescue and restore and encourage and move forward and hey and yay. and You see what I mean? But, but most of us, it's an ignorance thing. Most of us, we're surrounded. Guys, I've learned that, that, that the average Christian is in such need of entertainment. They are mesmerized by the world. They don't care what's in the movie. If everybody's watching it, they got to watch it because everybody's watching it. And it doesn't matter if they're fornicating. And I'm not cool with that. How's that on tape? I'm not cool with that. You're being entertained by what Jesus gave his life to forgive us of. Oh, I'm getting there now. In fact, I don't need too much cheering because I'm really getting there. <laughs> and it's not legalistic what I'm saying. Come on, it's just real. If our hearts are changed, our minds have to change. Our desires have to change. It shows that there's some incompleteness in us. It shows that we're saying the right things and in the right arenas, but we're not doing this enough to absolutely be transformed to look through new eyes. And all of a sudden, I'm drawn to something that actually should make me cry. I'm enticed by something that there's no life in. 
And it allows me to kind of live both worlds. And the way that seems right to man stays very alive in my life, even though I'm saying I'm pursuing spiritual truth. And I'm telling you, it gets in your eye gate and your emotion. And that movie line is strategically written by Hollywood by... To capture you. And to prey on every one of your weaknesses and insecurities. And she found the right man. And they're working this thing closer together. And they haven't gotten alone yet. And they sure wish they could be. And they're looking at each other a certain way. And all of a sudden it is so built up. And so at the end. So just hyped. And so, whoa, boom. And you're like, oh. And then that thing plants in your little heart. And all of a sudden you're looking for that experience too. And all of a sudden you wish you could just have, oh, yeah. and it just sets you up to follow after that need. Think about it. It's not good for a man to touch a woman. Am I sinning? You look it up, see if I'm right. It means with desire. You take a young 18-year-old man, young man, an 18-year-old. You take a 30-year-old who lost his wife to a tragic accident and, and knew what it was like to be with his wife or have his wife, or his wife walked out on him and he feels alone and, and he knows what it is to be in bed with her and have security and have her with him. And, and, and all of a sudden he's in a relationship and all of a sudden he's holding her hand and all of a sudden she's starting to meet the needs that used to get met and he has the same desires he used to have. And all of a sudden they're not even married. They've only been together a month. But now he's kissing her and all of a sudden she becomes the fill for everything he's lost and lacking. And it's not good for a man to touch a woman. Why? Because unless you are full in Christ and in a complete place and in covenant, our flesh doesn't handle that. How do you touch lips with desire for a person as far as you, you, you feel like you like them or love them? Touch lips without desire. That's why you're touching lips. Can I? Uh, come on. Are, can we, is it okay if we just get out of denial? Come on, get real with me. In a new relationship, we're so into the dating and we're not called to test drive cars till we find one we like. How in a new relationship, when you start getting that feely, touchy emotion place, especially lip stuff, how is it possible to do that and not have desire? In the old covenants, uh, uh, cultures, especially Jewish, is beautiful to follow. You ought to see the Jewish culture in marriage and wedding. I know you know all about it. Lisa taught me. I mean, they come, he sets his eye on that woman, he commits that I'll come back. It's actually, you can find it all through the rapture in Christ in the church. The whole Jewish wedding tradition can be found in the whole rapture of the church in Christ coming back for his bride. It's amazing. He comes and he gives her all these gifts and they, they literally sign this thing and he goes away and, and then he comes back in a point in time and she's not even expecting, but she's made herself ready. 
And she set her heart on him and she keeps herself and they veil her. They put a veil over her and, and, and it's, it's a sign, it's a certain veil that says she's taken, she's committed, she's betrothed. And usually in the middle of the night he would come with an entourage and trumpets and, and he'd come to... And she was found ready and waiting. <gasps> committed. Is it not... Boy, he's been going for a whole year. I've been really itching here, man. I had a lot of guys looking at me, and I'm feeling like I'm looking pretty good right now. <laughs> I'm just being real. Come on. Okay, okay, okay. Where did this come from? Old wedding tradition, culture, especially Jewish culture, we get a lot from. So the bride's coming down. She's got a veil on her face. Dad, we already went through this earlier. See, I was being set up and didn't even know it. I'm always late on this. Oh, I'm late on this stuff. I'm always late. I got to finish this one thought. I'm way late. I just realized I'm late. No, I can't keep going. I'm late. It's after 12. And the video stuff and Josh and all them. And, but they get down there and watch this. And I'm just walking on mercy right now. Because so, Josh, he loves me. <laughs> the dad, what's he do? Unveils her face because her face has been covered. She's under the authority of daddy. She's under the covering of daddy. Daddy's giving his little girl to this man who he's in faith to give. I'm going to give my little girl to you to be her husband, to care for her, to protect her, to be in her life what I've been. And da -da -da. There's, a, there's beauty here. He unveils her face. The preacher, boom, 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 vows. You are now... Man, I pronounce you man and wife. Watch what he says. Watch what he says. It's in every wedding you've ever been to. You may. Watch. You may. Now. Uh-oh. Whoa. Back up. You guys are missing it. You may now kiss her. Which means you haven't yet. She was veiled, remember? Why are we so religious? We say we're not, but we are. Kissing, slopping all up, crossing lines, repenting, crying, putting our souls through hell in a religion. Then we get married and we do the whole veil thing because it's tradition. Amen. And daddy rolls it up. <laughs> I'm not being mean, I'm being real. Being religious and saying we're not. I'm telling you, a young lady's never been kissed. It's all on the teen shows, the TV shows. I mean, I even saw some things on this uh, channel my little granddaughter wanted to watch, and they have bigger kids stuff on there. She wanted to just watch SpongeBob, some little square sponge dude that is absolutely hilariously goofy and nuts. It's just crazy. <laughs> and it's just crazy. Oh, SpongeBob, God have mercy. And, and, and they show these other shows and it's all about relationships and kissing and, and, and ooh and ah and they're teenagers and, they're, and, they're, and it's all about the teen world and, and, and then you get pressed into that mold and it becomes your fantasy, your desire, your need. And it becomes totally normal and kosher and acceptable and if it's not your reality, you're a geek. I, I'm way late. I hope you guys shut the film down. Shut it. Stand to your feet. I am so late. I don't know what happens, but this is school. I might not even come tomorrow. I just might have to recover. I know we didn't take communion. 
Let your communion, we're letting the tables, right? Let your communion lay there. We're going to do it tomorrow. It, we want to do it where there's a purpose for it. It has to do with love. And you'll find, you'll find it all makes sense even to me how we got where we got and why and how it all connects. It'll just make sense. Time will tell. Come on, let's lift our hands to Father. Come on, you be humble. You receive His grace and love. I don't know what category you add. I, there's no condemnation in what we're saying. If you feel like, oh, and affronted in some of this stuff, don't you get offended? Don't you get frustrated? Don't you feel dirty, guilty? And don't get mad. Don't feel restricted. You just say, God, keep teaching me truth. Lord, you seek God on this stuff. And I'm telling you, if there's any person in here, you've gotten the cart ahead of the horse. There is so much mercy for you. God just wants us to understand and not suppress truth. Don't be like Romans 1, suppressing the truth. I don't want to suppress truth. Lift your hands to heaven. Father, we thank you. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for the glory of God in our lives. Thank you that our destiny is your image. It's our creative value. And we thank you. You're revealing yourself to us and through us. Thanks for making us whole and making us one. Father, I pray a grace that makes fullness our reality. That there is houses here with no empty rooms. And I thank you we are filled with the strength of heaven in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Bless you guys. Love you. Sorry about how late it got. I had no idea what time it was. Sorry, Josh. Thanks.